We are Geekcentric, and you can be too. What's up, geeks, and welcome back to another episode of the Geek-Centric Podcast. My name is Justin, and today, it's all about the music. Today, we dive deep into the topic of music and its importance to so much of what we love. We'll also be taking a look at some game-centric stuff. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly podcast covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys, collectibles, and all things geek-centric. Joining me for today's episode, I have my fellow geeks. On the left hand of my screen, I have the naughty dog, Nate Shelton. Oh, the naughty dog. Let's go. <laughs> what? That, that dog barks like this. Rough. Rough. Yeah. <laughs> but he's naughty. And to his left or the right of my screen, we have Kevin Clever Hudson. Clever with a K. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or <Okay>. Cleaver. Cleaver. <laughs> I think more Cleaver <laughs> than anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of, 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 uh, Kevin McCleaver Hudson. Yeah, yeah there, there you go. go. How you guys doing? Good. Same old, How's same quarantine old. life? Week 86 is treating me well, man. Kevin, you're going a little stir-crazy according to uh, that last YouTube video that we watched. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think I've recovered. I think I've recovered. Um, dun, 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 dun. Are you sure? That was, a lot of, that was a lot of fun to put together, actually. Justin did such a good job of making that vision come to life. Video was a lot of fun. Now, question for you, Kevin. Were you... Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the YouTube video. Go check it out. Geekcentric. YouTube.com slash Geekcentric. Kevin, were you actually naked in the shower there? Uh, I was wearing have... boxers. I was wearing okay. boxers. Of course. I wasn't, right. wasn't going to let Danny see my uh, my body bits. <laughs> let let Danny see your dragon. Uh, I, I and, wish and his the, eggs. I wish the <laughs> listeners could see what I'm looking at right now. Because that is oh a my pretty gosh. intimidating sight. <laughs> That's awesome. For the, yeah. for the listeners, Kevin just showed us uh, his three cutouts of the Game of Thrones characters just staring back at him. Oh, yeah. Tyrion with the crossbow just grilling me hard, man. He's right at eye level <laughs> as I'm sitting here. So <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so we got a lot to go, th- go through today. Um, jam-packed. I know, I know it's jam-packed. A lot of news. We got some trailers today as well. Oh, um, so What are those? <laughs> yeah, I know I, know, I missed right? those well, things. The, we, we'll, we'll, you'll see what we got, but um, before we get into all of that, we should start with our traditional whatcha. So, Nate, what you been up to? Ooh, I get to go first. All right, strap in, boys. Uh, let's see. Whatcha I've been up to uh, this week, um, continuing watching the uh, Disney Gallery uh, Mandalorian series on Disney Plus. Did you guys like watch episode two and three yet? Um, Sarah hasn't finished the last two episodes of mm-hmm. the Mandalorian, so we can't oh. watch it yet. Oh yeah, yeah that would be yes. huge spoilers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, I think they even like say like major spoilers in the first episode of uh, <laughs> of the gallery series. Uh, Justin, yeah. have you caught up on it yet? Uh, I've uh, I haven't watched the latest episode that dropped today, but yeah, I'm, I'm caught up to episode two at least. Justin, episode two, the last nine minutes. The way that Dave Filoni recontextualizes Duel of the Fates. Yes. Un- unbelievable, like mind-blowing how, just how how astute he is with Star Wars. Like how he was able to describe Qui-Gon battling for the fate of Anakin. And that's why sure. it's called Duel of the Fates. And yeah, like, yeah. like I, I obviously am not, I'll, I, I butchered describing it. But if you're listening to this, even if you don't want to watch that whole series... 
just listen to the last nine minutes of that of that episode, of that episode yeah. and you'll become a prequel fan. You, or at yeah. least, or at least a Phantom Menace. You'll have fan. a new appreciation for it. Well, that's good. I'm already a Phantom Menace fan, so this sounds great. <laughs> I've also been keeping up with uh, with Rick and Morty. Did you guys watch Rick and Morty at all, episode two? Uh, I did. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not like loving this season. It's been fine. I think that I like the sec- second episode maybe a bit better, even though the way they told the story was a bit convoluted. I don't know. Yeah. It's been okay. It's just I, been okay. I think it's been, yeah, I don't think it's top tier Rick and Morty, but it's, you know, even even not top tier Rick and Morty is still great, great television. Um, um, I've been playing some new stuff. Uh, so I started playing a game called Good Job. Have you guys seen this? No. So Good Job is, uh, it's actually de- developed, developed by Paladin Studios, um, but published by Nintendo. So it's technically a Nintendo first-party game. Uh, it's on the Switch, and it's basically like a puzzle action game, level by level. Kevin, it is 100% your jam. Um, if you played uh, What the Golf, which I know, Kevin, you and I have talked about before, For sure. um, you will love Good Job. Uh, it's very much in that vein of like physics-based puzzle. You work at an office. You're basically the son of a CEO uh, in a multi-layered office building, and you just have to like do things like reconnect the internet or or move the projector to the other room or gather people for a meeting but the way that you have to do it um where you're just destroying everything it's really cool and it's all done with these cutesy little um sort of characters that are uh they almost look like the safety uh image like of a person right like the I'm, you know I'm, the I'm looking at some images right now and obviously I have no idea what's going on but it looks <laughs> awesome it it's looks really awesome yeah it's, it's so very it's colorful. only on the switch I believe it's only on Nintendo Switch, yeah, because it was okay. published by Nintendo. So definitely check that out. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, guys, I've uh, I've been keeping up with uh, with my streams. I did a really really fun stream, probably my most successful stream that I've ever done. I did last night, um, where I actually redesigned the entrance to my home in Animal Crossing uh, with special Sick. guest, friend of the show, <laughs> Megan uh, from MeganClara.Draws on Instagram. Um, she's like a professional. Uh, Animal Crossing player so you know a good chunky three hour stream but we got up to like 11 people we got raided by another streamer which brought in a few people nice. um, yeah oh, it was it was really Congrats, cool man. so uh, so we're gonna do that again 8 p.m. on Thursday um, I'm not sure if this p- episode will drop before then but if it does definitely check that out and then on uh, Tuesday, I am replaying through The Last of Us um, again. So Tuesdays at 8 will be Last of Us. Thursdays at 8 will be Animal Crossing for the foreseeable future. So definitely check me out, twitch.tv slash NatePlaysGames. I'll throw in another plug before the end of the episode. But that is, that is what, you, I've been, uh, what you, I've been up to. Kev, what you been up to? Uh, a lot of this, a lot of that, uh, but mostly Lost, really. I was on such a tight deadline to get Lost watched and you know 118 episodes 80 hours wow uh and i left it a little close to the wire uh so much so that uh we actually recorded our second episode on the up next podcast for our lost review at uh three o'clock on wednesday i finished the finale at 305 on wednesday so i had to tell him <laughs> to wait a couple minutes but like uh, so Tuesday night, I started watching again at 2 a.m., pulled an all-nighter, went right till 3.05 p.m. Wow. just to get it done. Uh, what, a, what a ride that was. No. So, you know, I'm emotionally moved by the end of this show and have to go sit down and record a podcast. I, I got to admit, <laughs> it, it got to me a bit. Yeah? It moved me a bit because I didn't have the rage anymore. I'd already seen yeah. it. 
But I, I'd already seen it, so I knew what to expect, kind of, right? So is your opinion changed now? Yeah, I was going to ask. No spoilers for the podcast, I guess, or the, or, you know, the, the show Lost. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen Lost by now, what, what are you doing? But, um, but Kevin, are you, are you a fan of the ending now? Can you join my club? Absolutely not. Um, no! I mean, I, I, I want to save most of what I have to say uh, for the third episode that we're okay. going to record next week, only because we're kind of doing the finale, as well as more of an in-depth look at season six. Last week, right. or this week, we looked at kind of seasons one through five and our favorite seasons and characters and moments and everything like that. Uh, I just think the sideways world was unnecessary and fan fodder for no reason. I don't know. So that's all I'll say about it. It's still, I mean, I understand the ending a bit better now. I will say that in that the island story isn't irrelevant, which is kind of how I perceived it after my first viewing. And so that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, but that makes the, the, the flash sideways even more unnecessary. Yeah. So again, if you haven't seen it, you you won't know what I'm talking about. So I'm not really spoiling anything because if you do go and watch it, you'll have forgotten what I said, anyways. Um, but I think the show overall is better than I gave it credit for after watching it that first time, simply because I was disappointed. But that yep. sixth that sixth season really, really just doesn't sink in as much as it I wanted it to, even mm-hmm. still. But season mm-hmm. five is absolutely fantastic. I forgot oh. how good. The flashes through time were oh, oh my the goodness. Desmond it, stuff oh yeah. that the, the Desmond episode might be the best well no the Desmond episode from season four oh, where yeah. he's where where they introduce time travel might be right. the best single episode on Epis- that whole yeah. show yeah oh. so so good uh, yeah. so I did I did a lot of Lost um, Sarah and I because for years I'd been recommending to my neighbor uh, Justin Prowitzki to watch It's Always Sunny I finally got him to do it. And so that got Sarah and I going, oh, why don't we watch It's Always Sunny? So <laughs> we've been plowing through that at night. Uh, probably, I think we're halfway through season six already. Um, if you don't mind crude language and horrible people and obscene situations, It's Always <laughs> Sunny in Philadelphia might be one of the funniest TV shows of all time. Huh. Um, it's up there. I started yeah. um, Happy Place, The Happy Place. That's with... Uh, Kristen Bell and the good place, oh, the good place, the good, the good place. place. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, and Ted Danson. I just watched the first episode today while I was doing my workout. Um, nice. Intriguing little concept. Looks like a cute little show. So I'm definitely going to follow through with that and see how the first season goes. Dope. Um, and then I think the last thing I've kind of been up to is uh, I started Uncharted three, which sucks. how is it? <laughs> it's 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 a step are you just back, saying in that? my opinion no, it really? just it just feels like i feel like the controls are the controls from the first game and right. you know what i'm really not liking it's like they're trying to blend the cinematic scenes with the gameplay mm. yes but you'll get like a video right like a cinematic scene and then they'll have you do something and it'll be like walk to a door and open it and then they'll go to another cutscene, and it's scene, like yeah. come on that's Mm. clunky and unnecessary so mm. i mean I'm that's only, what I'm last about, of us is like though yeah oh no thank yeah, yeah. you i'm only last about of us six has, chapters has moments deep, like that but i, I i'm waiting I like to it, see though. i'm waiting yeah. to see how this one goes i'm just looking forward to four truthfully so mm. I, I want to mm. plow through three just to get to four um the one thing i just don't do anymore it seems is watch movies i don't know it's weird there's Why, just who no needs movies? movies you got tv shows uh, there's just no movies that are like coming up on Netflix and stuff that I've like. Mm-hmm. I think the Tom Hardy Capone movie dropped. 
Oh, I've heard really bad things. Oh, like 40% on mm-hmm. on Metacritic and stuff. So you, yeah. And like a mm-hmm. few friends have watched it and said it's a train wreck. So, But yeah, so no movies are dropping that I'm interested in. So yeah, I just can't wait till theaters open and I get some bloody blockbusters. Come on, mm. August mm. maybe? That'd be nice. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Hopefully that happens. I'd yeah. love to see Mulan finally. Yeah. Uh, but Jess, <laughs> what have you been up to? What you been up to, bud? Uh, not much, really. Uh, editing videos, uh, working... Uh, watching The Office, like I'm actually finally getting through watching it. I'm on season five right now, if I'm not mistaken. Seven um, of the best half- seasons of TV I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I, honestly, <laughs> I, I, there's, I have a new appreciation for the writing. Uh, Steve Carell is fantastic. Um, it's just, it's, it's just so well done. And 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 you know, like I think the problem for me when I started watching the show right off the get-go is just the awkwardness of, of like the scenes and Michael Scott. He's just very, he's very awkward, right? Like he just, he's, he doesn't always think, but I, I was, I was sharing this with Kevin. There's moments in, in the show where, you know, he, he, he suddenly becomes more vulnerable uh, with some people in the office and he, he does kind of address like his behavior and it almost gives you as an audience member, but also gives these characters a sense of like, just, you know, they appreciate him because like everyone just appreciates the fact that Michael Scott's a nice guy and he does have good intentions. Just how he goes about it is not always obviously the best or smartest way. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I think I'm like episode 14 on, um, yeah, it's a Valentine's Day episode, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh. Uh, on what so, season? Or 18 of season five. Nice. Anybody who's going to watch that show, you got to get through those first six horribly awkward episodes of season mm-hmm. one. Yeah. I think it's episode two of season two, Office Olympics, mm-hmm. and the <laughs> the spirit of the show comes out. I had a really right. good friend of mine, uh, David, the guy uh, that I've been doing uh, lo- the Lost podcasts with. Uh, he said, for the first season, the American version tried to be the UK version. Mm-hmm. And then in season two, it created its own identity. It's kind right. of like why Parks and Rec didn't work right away. It's because mm. it was trying to be The Office. And by about uh-huh. season two, it found its identity, right? Mm. So, and you always got to give a show more than one or two or even five right. episodes if you want to try and get into it. Because they yeah. take some time to to really find who they are, right? So, And The mm. Office is one that, if you stick with it, the payoffs in terms of callbacks, character growth, uh, it's just so worth it by the yeah. end. It really is. Yeah. I, I I do find myself laughing out loud a lot during the show, like <laughs> just really good stuff. Um, other than that, been gaming a bit more. Uh, Uncharted two, um, almost done. I think I'm on the last chapter. Oh, so I'm you finished t- one then? Oh yeah, I finished one last week. Nice. I finished one like I finished one quicker than I finished uh, than I finished two. I got a little bit more sidetracked this week and put other things as priorities rather than finishing it, which is why I haven't finished the last chapter. I think I'm in a temple right now with uh, Chloe and Elena, and uh, I'm just being bombarded by like guns. So right now I got to figure out how You're to stuck. get out of it. Yeah, have, I'm stuck. Have, I, I keep dying. Have the I keep big blue bastards away. come out yet? Oh, yeah. I, I killed a couple of those already, and now I'm, like, on the other side of this temple, like, I've gone through. You're in, so, like, that Eden-esque paradise. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think it's a three-act sort of probably structure to it. I, I think I'm in act two of this. Just, like wait, another... just wait for that final boss fight, man. It was so frustrating. Oh. oh wow. Okay. Oh. Cool. Well, yeah, so that's yeah that I, that's it for me in terms of what you. Um, but... 
I think it's time that uh, we get into the news. You guys good? Let's do it. It's all about the details. All right. Before we get into the news, I actually have a write-in question. Uh, this one comes from Mitch George, our friend over at uh, Press YYZ Podcast. Oh, nice. Um, Mitch is back, question- eh? Oh, yeah. He's back. Um, his question was inspired by one of our news stories we covered from uh, last week's episode. Um, he writes, uh, when you guys were talking about Taika Waititi directing a Star Wars movie last week, I had a eureka moment. We know that there are rumors of a live-action Hercules movie in works. And what if Taika's collaborators in Thor Ragnarok, Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth, were cast as Hades and Zeus, respectfully? What do you guys think of that? I imagine Tom Hiddleston would be Hades, though. Right? Yeah, that's I, that's exactly what he's suggesting. Yeah, because yeah. Chris Hemsworth as Hercules is thrown around a lot in some of my circles. But he's sure. thinking Zeus. He's thinking Zeus, oh, like the Zeus. father figure. Right? They'd be brothers in that one as well. I I can't see Hemsworth as as the like Zeus is an the old the old god, you know. So sure, yeah. yeah I would yeah, take yeah. Hemsworth clean shaven as Hercules before Zeus. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. for Zeus, it's got to be Hugh Jackman. No. That was my that was my total yeah. recast yeah. for the. No, I yeah. was gonna say like if it, you know this is the reason why I brought this. I thought this question was relevant is just because obviously this uh, harkens back to our total recast, which which was in our first episode. Oh wow, right, of season one. Um, so I'm first. not sure if Mitch actually has checked that episode out. If you haven't, Mitch, do check it out because then you can actually hear our takes on uh, who we thought would be best uh, in this live action I actually, realization. I actually really do like uh, Tom Hiddleston as. Hades. Yeah, that's I mean, cool. it's another that's... bad guy, God, but it's 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 fun. He could be a different character. Sure, maybe, you know, he could embody a little bit more of that James Woods sort of sure. like super ultra I mean, like the, theatrical. The only person who can play Zeus is John Goodman. I'm sorry, that's just how it has to be. <laughs> Wow. Um, And guys, if you have any questions, uh, you want to share your own thoughts, uh, casting, whatever it is, feel free to reach us. Um, And uh, where can they reach us? They can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Geekcentric. We are geekcentric. You can't interrupt if you're going to mess it up, Kevin. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, guys, send us questions. Send us anything. Um, You can reach us there. Okay, let's get into our first news story. Capitalism is healing. Shanghai Disney opens to guests this week. Crazy. Cool. Uh, This article comes from The Verge. After shutting its parks and resorts uh, worldwide in March, Disney is starting to reopen, and the company is beginning with Shanghai Disney Resorts, uh, which began accepting visitors this week uh, for the first time since closing in January. Wow. Um, You guys have, have the article, so I'll assume that you're aware that there have been the park is operating under a slew of new health and safety measures uh though the most significant is the visitor cap did you guys hear about this a maximum of twenty four thousand people which is uh only 30 percent of the park's regular capacity so that's oh, wow. about eighty thousand. Eighty thousand, i think is is what the park can hold and they're only letting in 24 which is not bad well um, that, that sounds like if you've ever been to one of their one of their uh, events, you know, their exclusive events that they do where yep. you can ticketed events. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds similar to like kind of the numbers that you would see there. So I guess right, that would kind right. of be a similar experience. Like a D23, maybe? Yeah, no, maybe I think around You that. mean like, like, uh, like uh, Mickey's 
Halloween, Halloween and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Like at the parks. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, they're probably right about that. Um, so on the ground, uh, reports suggest much fewer guests uh, than the 24,000 actually did show up. Um, of course. At, to the park on the first day. The mood was somewhat muted and, and, and mass visitors were greeted by costume cast members, which is a Disney term for staff, uh, shouting welcome in both English and Chinese. Um, but obviously, you know, the park's opening... And, and, the, and the sort of measures that they've had, like in, in that article, they do get into some great detail about uh, lines, uh, certain uh, the way they've uh, structured lines by putting out mats and, and, and social distancing. Uh, line queues experience is entirely different um, altogether. Um, how do we feel about these new measures put in place? And do you guys think that this was going to change the park experience uh, in, in the West? I'm, I'm going to jump right in and be negative Nancy here. Um, <laughs> Like we all know, Kevin. we all know what happened when a certain park in 1994 opened too early. Of course, I'm referring to Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think it'll be I, that bad, Kevin. Well, yeah, because you know, only three people died at Jurassic Park. There's going to be a lot more people who could potentially, you know, face serious yeah. life-threatening repercussions because of this. I don't think that these Disney parks, with the money that Disney has, you say they're losing, they say what? They're losing, what, $100 million a day or $10 million a day? 30 million. 30 million. million a day. They're not losing money. They're just not making money. Mm-hmm. And the billions and billions and billions of dollars they've made over the years, just in the last 10 years from Star Wars and Avengers alone, they will be fine. If they need to keep their gates closed for a year, they will be fine. I yeah, they'll, they'll bounce know, back. I just yeah. don't know why they need to rush into this. No, you you bring up a good point. You know, is it too soon to really bring back? But again, the only thing that they've announced actually that they're opening up this weekend is Disney Springs. Uh, yes, but it's which, on a, it's yeah. on a phase. Uh, so no restaurants, uh, no shops. Oh, I sorry, shops will be okay. not restaurants. My yeah. apologies. And um, I'm sure it'll be somebody at the door. You know, mm-hmm. twenty people in the mm-hmm. store at a time, mm-hmm. like grocery stores here and stuff. Yeah. But it, you know, like again, it does it does reflect on on how maybe the country is doing, right? So yes, Shanghai and China have you know they've been in this a lot longer than we have. So to to be on this end, to hear some of this, you know, park experience, you know, temperature checks and having to get a green light, uh, you know, line queues virtually being like you know gone, obviously because of the cap, uh, you know, only allowing thirty percent of the attendance in. Like these are all, you know very uh, you know reasonably smart measures but to kevin's point I, I do agree it doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's it's it, it might be a small gain in terms of profit for what it could inevitably inflict uh globally right like in terms of like spreading this virus think about, and think about what really happens when it. one outbreak happens at that sure part. absolutely right and the thing is is that the shutdown you know if it does spread and things start to happen boom that shutdown is going right back i'm also curious to know like how do they magic it up? You know, like you talked about temperature checks and things like that. How I'm, I would be very interested to see they've, how they've, Disney they've, Disney they've finds it. the thermometers and wands and yeah. yeah. Right, and instead of wearing yeah. rubber gloves, they're wearing Mickey hands. You know, well, you know what this, right? the, the reality. Yes, that's true. It also does dis- demystify a little bit of the magic, though, right? Because like, imagine walking through the parks and seeing everyone with masks. It's going to be really yeah. strange. Imagine watching the Dapper Dan sing and they're wearing masks. Yeah, right? it, it won't be as strange. And there's no character meets. There's no character meets. I, I don't right. know if you guys catch that think, in the article. I don't think it'll be as strange for, for kids See, in Shanghai. See, but they're Shanghai. the only ones who like, literally are wearing masks. 
yes, you're right. They could actually wear a mask with a mask over yeah. top, right, to actually protect themselves. But what's what's interesting is that they they've I guess to reduce the amount of exposure, I guess it makes sense because photos you'd be taking with hands wrapped around and stuff like that. Right. They still want to respect that social distancing and stuff right. like that. No, that so. makes it makes sense, and I'm all for yeah. any precautions yeah. they're taking. I I, I just guess, wonder like, what the point... long term sort of implications of this might yeah. be because right. it sound from the sounds of it they're almost doing like the same sort of reservation for rides as they do for rise of the resistance exactly i would be all for that if b- before going into a park you go okay i'm gonna do haunted mansion at 9 a.m splash mountain at 10 a.m this ride at 11 imagine you get your whole day planned out and and you spend zero time waiting in lines. The rest of the time, you know, you can walk around, you can go into the shops, yeah. you can catch yeah. a show, you can do whatever, and you just walk onto the rides and you're designated. Like everybody's basically on a fast pass at certain times. Like yeah. I'd yeah. be all for that, you know. Yeah, I think anyone would be. It sounds it sounds like it would be a better experience. Like I would actually like going to the parks where it's like. Yeah, you're not wasting less. an hour and forty minutes <laughs> yeah. in line for a two minute yeah. ride, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Awesome. Cool. I guess we'll just wait and see when uh, that happens for Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Looks like it does look like, though, if it was going to happen, it would be Walt Disney World first and then right. Disneyland would potentially be like. Well, because California is. Oh, Florida, right. Florida. Walt Disney World would have been open two months ago if they if yeah, they could have been right because yeah, it's Florida. Exactly. Whereas yeah. California might wait till 2025 the way they're being overly precautious, not overly, sure. but precautious. Yeah. Well, only time will tell and only time will tell. If we're actually going to be getting this PS5, because, man, today a video dropped that showcased the engine gameplay preview. I'm sure we've all watched this um, as it was sent in our little document here. Um, but uh, it's this is, you know, Unreal Engine posted a or launched a nine minute real time demonstration running live on a PlayStation 5 showcasing two core technologies that will debut in the titled Unreal Engine 5. Um, this is obviously the the, the, the graphics processor uh, that is going to run within the PS5 system. So nothing um, to do with the game like Unreal Tournament or anything. Well, Un- Unreal Tournament was developed on Unreal Engine. Unreal Engine. Oh, okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. See, I'm a yeah. noob, right? So I appreciate that. Yeah, yep. thank you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I am getting this right, of course, Nate. But the two new things that they showcased was the Nan, Nan, Nanite, Nanite. Nanite. Vir- yep. Yeah, Nanite virtualized micro polygon geometry, which <laughs> frees artists to create as much geometric detail as the eye can see. Yeah. And another. Uh, huge achievement called lumen a fully dynamic global illumination solution that immediately reacts to a scene and the light changes so this is incredibly stunning like when you sent this and i watched it like even though it was like it it took a second for it to buffer from like low res into high res but when it did it was probably the most captivating thing i've ever seen yeah um i'm blown away man like i i thought that that little thing that they dropped yesterday which was like just a a little sequence or a scene um was was pretty epic but like now seeing like a full nine minute real-time demonstration like the level of storytelling yeah it's it's cool and it's cool how they show you you uh, you just nailed it on right there with with the word storytelling it's cool how how much the changes in these graphics can affect storytelling in a game and, and they, they it's really done can. for that purpose it's yeah. done for that purpose and so um you know one thing to to kind of 
to kind of remember, though, as we sort of talk about this Unreal Engine 5 and as we sort of get really stoked and hyped on it, um, and I know a lot of people online are saying, I cannot wait for the PS5, I can't wait for games like this, um, you know, keep in mind that this this engine is actually not going to release until roughly about a year after we get the PS5 uh, oh, in 2021. Sweet. Um, sweet. Right? Yeah. And then well, also... I'm always late to the game. So well, I'll, when I get it, I'll get the good ones. Sweet. You'll be good. Yeah. Um, but also keep in mind, like, it'll probably take at least a year, two years, maybe three years for, for developers to really... Developers. To, for them to understand how to actually take advantage actually of this system, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, but I I am so excited for it. That demo. The only thing I will say for that demo, and I, I already heard someone else say this, but I was thinking it at the same time. So it's my thought too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was um, the the demo that they showed? They've got this woman. She's kind of uh, you know sort of the 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 world is sort of Prince of Persia. She's sort of uh, you know Laura Croft ish sort of mm-hmm. character. Um, and I was just hoping so bad that we would see an Ubisoft logo at the end and it would say Princess of Persia. And I would have like ah, I would have lost it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but no, guys. Like I we said in a previous podcast, or I said in a previous podcast that I really didn't think that graphics were going to be a big thing on next gen. And this is this is I still think that's true for the early parts of next gen. I think going forward, I think we're actually going to start to see some some differences here. Yeah. How many times in the past have we seen these demonstrations at things like E three and whatever, where these games look amazing? Uh, what was it? Watchdogs, I think, is yeah. the most oh, notorious. It's the, it's the notorious, right? One. Where the graphics are like un- incredible, and then you get the game, and you're like, "That's half as good as it looked." In that, you know, it's yeah. one thing to do a demo; it's another thing to actually, you know, present a game that is capable of the, that kind of rendering. So, is that a, is that a concern? But I would okay. say I would say this though: um, this video is it, it's presented in a way that is not very understandable for. Uh, consumer audience it's it is very understandable for a developer audience yeah um yes. so this i think this video well because this video was supposed to have um you were supposed to be able to play this at gdc which was the gaming uh, gamers developers conference gaming developers conference and wow. so um i think that this being actually playable and they 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 you know i mean again they're saying it's on a ps5 and they're this and that um but i think the difference is is that we were seeing a video from Ubisoft trying to show the next generation of graphics. This is not a real game. This is Unreal coming out and saying we're a platform for everyone. They're, they don't, you know, they obviously want to make money, but they're not in it for specifically for PS5. They're not in it specifically for any one developer um, or right. any one company, except for themselves, obviously. But I, I right. think I trust Epic, or I, I trust Epic. I trust um, Unreal Engine, and I. I think with all the money they made on Fortnite, I believe this. I'm so excited for it. I, I am really excited for 2023 when we can see graphics like this. <laughs> do you really think it'll take that long, though? I do. Yeah, I do. Because look at a game like The Last of Us uh, Remastered compared to The Last of Us 2, right? Mm. Developers, they figure out the best way to create these games near the end of the life cycle of a console. I think the the thing that was interesting is you're absolutely right. It, it does end at the life cycle um, because Last of Us was at the end of the life cycle. And then when the PS4 came out, they came out with the exactly. remastered version right. uh, for it. So you might be right. You're probably right. that you'll It'll take some time to see it. That's really interesting, though, that, that at least today we got, I guess, uh, insight as to where they want to go. Yeah. Uh, now I, I don't know if uh, this is a uh, another topic we're gonna or a news story we're gonna talk about, but 
<clears throat> speaking of uh, re- re-releasing uh, older games with updated graphics, Ooh. the news this week was yeah was quite. Ex- is this a story or? Uh, it's not a story. Okay, then, it stories, but it but... is. Let's do it, man. Tony Hawk <laughs> One and Two coming back with remastered graphics. That was beautiful. That video, yeah. that trailer, the way they merged mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. Oh, the it goosebumps was... I got seeing uh... like the schoolyard. Probably my favorite level. The you know jumping off that huge brick wall with the picnic. Yeah. T- oh man, yeah. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I've ne- I haven't been this excited for a Tony Hawk game since I was 12 years old. It's so crazy too because I'm actually surprised at how many people really liked it, and I, I, I was I think I was surprised, and then when I realized it, I was like, actually, okay, I guess it makes sense because yeah. like, a lot of people played that game. You know well, what I mean? Like that was a staple game to play on like like all the systems, like you or at I least would say all, it's like, a top ten all time PlayStation game. Well, it's PlayStation One that yeah, that that's what I mean. The it's, first one came out right. Yeah, and if anyone's gonna do it right, like as a fully remaster, as a full remaster that is is fully understood by by a specific team um vicarious visions i mean if you take a look at uh they've done you know crash bandicoot crash uh nitro um nitro cart like the remasters of those games and those are are like exact replicas of those games just with better graphics that's exactly what this is going to be and the coolest thing is that they're actually going to be taking elements um from tony hawk 3 and tony hawk 4 and actually bringing them into uh, one and two. So things like, like yeah. for instance, like the ability to do a manual was not in uh, in yeah. these games, right? So the ability to string together your combos. So the fact that Come we're going to be getting this, like, yeah, Are you serious? I'm serious. You, that's, you know, that's how I got all my points, man. I, it was not in those games, dude. You're thinking of a different game. You're thinking of three at least. Stoked for that. That comes out in September. Yes, September yeah. it comes out. Wow, I already okay, have it cool. pre-ordered. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, well, that is it for the news. Uh, thanks for that last little one there, Kev. Uh, but you know what? I think it's time to uh, get on down to some... It's trailer time. All right, so for our first trailer... This one's called Space Force. It's a Netflix series from the guys who brought you The Office. Uh, This is about a four-star general who begrudgingly teams up with an eccentric scientist uh, to get the U.S. military's newest agency, Space Force, ready for liftoff. Uh, this cast is pretty star-studded, though. Let me tell you, you got Steve Carell. You got, uh, I guess she's kind of a newcomer. Uh, Diana Silvers, uh, Ben Schwartz, Lisa <laughs> Kudrow, John Malkovich, uh, Tony Newsom, Jimmy O. Yang, Jane Lynch, Fred Willard, Noah Emmerich. Uh, they're all featured in this show. Uh, this trailer was like, <laughs> it was like, I thought, I thought it was like j- just relevant because I've been watching The Office. Yeah. But it felt like a little bit more adult office. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe but, it is. Maybe but it's Greg Daniels and Steve Carell back together is a cool mix. I'm, yes. I'm down for that. It felt very, yeah. um, it felt very uh, heavier. I think I would say would be the word mm-hmm. I would use. You know, it had a little bit more weight, more gravitas. Um, it feels like like um, more HBOified office. Yes, really? you know? yes. yeah. Like yes. I, is that I the got vibe you guys got from that. I did, I did, and it's not just because Jimmy O Yang is in it. Um, I got more. I did get more like Silicon Valley sort of level of um, again, and it could just because of how it's shot, right? Like in terms of it being. You know, we're not. Besides um, watching the morning show, we're not used to seeing Steve Carell in, in a you know, not on a, a moving cam, hand cam. You know, so 
Right, but I think it's still going to be more comedy than anything. I don't think you're going to oh. get heavy drama like you get no. in the morning show and stuff. Right? No, 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 that's no, not what sure. I'm saying. I'm just saying no, I just no. think it was a little heavier. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's. I, I think the comedy's there. I, I, I think I get what. Um, Nate's trying to say with the term heavier in terms of like the tone, but the humor. Like, I honestly think that, like, you're right, to have Greg Daniels and Steve Carell teaming back up uh, to do something new uh, is great. And maybe it is the association of just seeing Steve Carell play this sort of someone who takes himself seriously, but is also like has like these super quirky personal behaviors, like from the trailer at least, like him singing to himself in, in isolation and, 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 you know, some of the facial reactions he has and his reactions to certain things. They really read to me at least as like a sequel to a, a michael scott i think steve carell is the straight man in this yeah rather I than gonna, being the, yeah. the jokey guy he's the straight man and the people around him are the quirky goofy you know screw-ups etc right like mm-hmm. i think john malkovich just because i don't I, he wasn't in the trailer much he'll be your nut bar you know i can see yeah. ben schwartz being quirky and crazy yeah uh you know jimmy o yang being a bit more eccentric and stuff i don't know i i see this as like a, a almost straight man steve carell and then the, the him singing kokomo is him like losing his mind in this situation he doesn't want to be in basically <laughs> Who was um, the who was the character that Idris Elba played in The Office? Do you remember that guy? Oh, yes. uh, from a... from Satakoy from Satakoy Steel, um, <laughs> Charles. Charles. Steve Carell's character reminded me of that sort of character. Yeah, right? the Definitely street man. Yeah. Cross crosses arms. You know, doesn't take any from anyone. You know, so I think I think I think you're kind of right there, there, uh, Kevin. He's going to kind of have to deal with everyone else. I am very interested to see uh, Lisa Kudrow back uh, yeah. on TV, though. That's that's dope. Yeah. No, this cast, mm-hmm. that was what I wanted to say mo- first and foremost about it, uh, is the cast. Like, Fred Willard, yeah. I love. I bet you he's in a small role. Even yeah. a guy like Don Lake, because um, yeah. I'm just looking at the IMDb. Right, uh, right. He's a bald, goofy guy. Like, he, he's a, he's a you know, a B actor or whatever, but, uh, like, it just looks fun from top to bottom who they've got mm-hmm. in this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I, do, I do think that it's going to be uh, great to see uh, Carell back at it. Uh, uh, you know, just being being on the front man for for something that's more of a comedy. Uh, what he he's really good at. So yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited. Space Force will be arriving to Netflix uh, sometime this month. I, I think it's uh, May 28th. I think May if I'm 20, shooting okay, cool. up May 29th. Okay. May 29th. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. No. Cool. So yeah. Well, no, yeah. That's like stream. two like less than two weeks or two weeks. Right. I guess to the day. That's exciting. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the next one. This one, The King of Staten Island, directed by Judd Apatow. This is a semi-autobiographical comedy drama about Pete Davidson growing up in Staten Island, including losing his father during the 9-11 and entering uh, the world of stand-up comedy. Uh, A couple things are different. He wants to be a recognized tattoo artist, uh, which they've made quite apparent in the trailer. Yeah. Um, Even though he's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is just just a quick joke to all those bad tattoo mm-hmm. sort of pop-up yeah. articles you see, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got Pete Davidson. We got uh, Maud Apatow, which is obviously, I, I believe, Judd Apatow's daughter, of course. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, Marissa Torme, Bill Burr, Steve Buscemi. Uh, this is interesting. I am beyond uh, actually really excited for this because I think it's my only exposure to Pete Davidson is like comedy, right? SNL and and, and the jokes that he makes. and But... But to see this sort of um, peek behind the curtain, the fact that it's Judd Apatow, um, honestly, like, 
again, I, I one of the things that we're not going to be doing on the show, and I really wanted to, but uh, Kevin shut it down. So, listeners, I'm sorry. We're hey. not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna have. Uh, we're not gonna have a, a top five movies that made us cry. Um, but no, um, you said the top five. The five movies that made us cry the most, which means your <laughs> list is way more than five. I could maybe name five. Or okay. Okay. Life. So we might. We okay. might still. We might still do it oh, yeah, on there the. There might be. There might be a good opportunity to discuss that. Like, okay. List could be sh- up to five. You should say. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see. Um, but I think this this might even uh at least be be one of the movies that makes us cry because I think it's just it looks like it's got so much heart. Um, and for for the content that was in this trailer, for the fact that my mom messaged me about it and was like, "Did you see this trailer? This movie looks great." I was like, "What?" Like that's awesome. So like, your mom's cool. Yeah, man. Right. So like, She's cooler than you. She sent you that trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had already seen it, but no. But dude, I um, I think I I am really excited for this. I think it's going to be really really um heartfelt and and uh and, fu- and funny. Um, yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of of Apatow. Uh, I know Kevin is too. I know Kevin, time. you love yeah, big big time. Other than other than funny people, I'm a big fan. Yeah, see so 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 for me, the the one thing about that I have found about Judd Apatow as he's obviously grown as a filmmaker is that his movies have have seemingly become a lot longer and like there's just like especially in funny people, there was like it was such a long story that just felt so drawn out. Well, I don't know. I think my biggest problem with funny people is that at the end of the day, Adam Sandler is still just a dick. Like his character doesn't grow. And I don't think mm. every movie needs to have a happy ending, but I want to see some growth in the character. It's kind of like that Robert Downey Jr. Zach Galifianakis movie where they did that road trip. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. even by the uh, end, yeah. Downey Jr. is still a jerk. Like he didn't learn anything in the experience. You know what I mean? Um, and I will well, it was go- a subtle commentary about fatherhood too, right? Because like, because like having having him and like just the idea of prepping him to have to look after someone else. Like right. He was looking after you know Galifianakis, right? Character. But he still but yeah, did it I reluctantly mean, and didn't like it. You know, no, like, exactly. Yeah, uh, and but, he's about like, to be a father. One, uh, as somebody who actually watches SNL every week, because I mm-hmm. know that's kind of a rare thing these days, right? Mm-hmm. I will say Pete Davidson might be my least favorite cast member and so when i saw this i was like oh this what is this and it took me about 20 seconds into the trailer and i was just like oh this is the perfect project for him because again i don't think his dad dies in 9 11 in the movie right because he says something like 17 years earlier or something yeah right so they don't there's not going to be any of that like messaging in it right it but it's the idea and one thing I will say about his character on SNL is he's always been open, even at roasts that he's done, he's always been open about dealing with that loss of his father mm-hmm. in 9-11 mm-hmm. through humor. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think this could be like a really special movie yeah. in that it takes a really difficult subject to deal with and, and does it with heart and humor. Yep. Um, you know that because that's what we need in 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 tough times is it, you need to laugh and you need to reflect on positives and everything. It, it it just looks awesome. And I love that Kevin the the idea of of that being the messaging of the story of saying like you'll see him in roast like I watched the the Justin Bieber roast I think he was at um, and somebody makes a huge joke about uh, about his dad dying in nine eleven and the entire audience just was like it just. It just made their hearts drop to the floor, but but he was laughing 
hysterically at it. He's like, that's a funny joke. Yeah. So to 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 find a way to to instill that into the storyline of this movie, um, I think Judd Apatow is perfect for that, and I'm so I'm stoked to see if that translates because I think that yeah. would be really cool. Yeah, like my, I think my favorite Judd Apatow movie is um, This Is Forty because mm-hmm. uh, it's not too comedy, uh, and then it's not too serious like i think funny people i think ironically a movie about standard comedians was his least funny movie which is kind of ridiculous this seems to be like just like this is 40 that perfect blend where you know you're you've got your comedy then you've got your your comedy that comes from sweetness and caring and endear like this is a this movie's this is like maybe my movie of the summer which you know it's usually a big blockbuster blow them up, shoot them up sort of movie. And this one, like this just straight up comedy drama just looks like the best trailer I've seen in a long, long time. I'm, I'm stoked for it. Dope. Well, you're going to be able to stream it this coming June. That's right? amazing. It's a universal. Yeah, it's it's universal. So they're going to be... Oh, yeah, the streaming stream. kings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, two streaming show trailers. Now this last one is The Last of Us Part 2. Let's go. Um, this one is the final trailer. It, it, it was the more cinematic trailer, the, the story trailer. I I, mm-hmm. I kind of like about it because it does seem really interesting. Developed by Naughty Dog, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment uh, for the PlayStation Four. Guys, what do you think, Kev? What did you think? Uh, honestly, uh, as somebody who hasn't played the first one, I can't say that it did much for me. Uh, it looks just as engrossing and captivating as the first one looked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's my style of game. Um, you know, and so I'm probably the least, the, the last person, I guess I should say, that should talk about it. You I'm are the last, last of us. us. <laughs> yeah, you're the last I'm of us last to talk us about that it. should be talking about it. So, just I think I should leave it up to you. And I mean, you called them the naughty dog already. So, <laughs> listen, I mean, let, he came let up the, with the game apparently. I think, let the, the, naughty I think dog. the pros who played the first no, one and yeah, loved so, it. No, I think, uh, I think though, the one thing that stood out to me from this trailer is that, um, you know, I don't think it's, 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 it's a spoiler to say that in the first game, these infectious zombie-like creatures were the villain. Uh, this looks very much like in two, humans uh, are going to be a villain more so to her than just these uh, these creatures, right? Yeah. So it looks like there's going to be much of more of a, a human human to human struggle uh, for survival rather than just a, a human to thing. I, we had layers of that though. So it's almost like uh, Quiet Place Two. Uh, oh, yes, right? exactly. Like Very like, similar. Like, yes. While the monsters are still there, it's the yes. the people who are left that have you know sunk to those evil depths yeah. are going to be the obstacle. Yeah. I, th- no. I think I think you got it, Justin. I mean, one one definitely had those moments of uh, human human v human interaction there, um, but obviously they had to introduce. They had to introduce the clickers and they had to, and those are still going to be very prevalent as we saw in that fantastic moment in this trailer. Um, but if the first trailer for this game was more a tone piece, this was more storyline. And I think you're, yeah. I think you're right. We are going to definitely see more uh, of a human villain, but, but uh, Justin, I think, I think based off this trailer that we will be playing as the villain, as Ellie. I think we are going to be seeing, I think this game is going to draw a lot on mm. um, moral choices that we are going to have to experience and it's going mm. there's going to be a lot of moments where we're going to be doing things that we're going to feel 
maybe that doesn't feel right as nope. Ellie That's, uh, to yeah, do. Yeah, I could totally, I totally agree with that in, in statement entirely after just seeing that trailer. Right. So. That's that's actually really cool because like maybe she like she is the villain she is going to because like it looks like there's a scene or a cut scene that's going to happen where she's doing something covered in blood and I don't think she fully agrees with what she's doing so it'll be yeah. interesting to see how that unfolds but very 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 astute reading well dude it's trailer. a it's going to be a revenge story um uh yep. if you if you check it out Naughty Dog's actually got some really great um uh inside uh sort of behind the scenes stuff if you want to check it out on their channel and thankfully because uh of all the leaks with this game their comments are not on <laughs> their youtube channel so you won't be spoiled thankfully um okay. but dude honestly i just cannot wait for this game i'm replaying as i mentioned in, in our what in my watcha replaying the first one and i'm so excited for this one and uh and just the the way that the characters are going to interact and you know the, the you'll actually f- feel bad for for doing some of the things you'll do i know that sounds insane that i'm like i can't wait to play a video game where i feel bad um mm. but it, it just you know kind of like what we were talking about on how the king of staten island kevin is going to sort of change hopefully change people's minds on a, on a on a certain outlook um i think this game has the ability to do that too with the story of revenge it's i'm so wow. stoked cool 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 very good man. Very Dan, good Dan, you might have sold me, man. <laughs> Let's go. Kevin, get on that first one. Let's Whatever, go. Whatever. I'll yeah. play it in five years, just like uh, Uncharted. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> when, when they put it out for free. Yeah. Yeah. You will there be we go. The Last of Us to play oh, it. Okay. It's in there twice. Twice. Uh, well, cool, guys. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, we've gotten through the typical stuff, but I think it's time to get to our topic of the show. So today's topic of the show is inspired from a fellow listener. Woo! Recently, Andy Bobby from Canada, just outside of Ottawa here in Canada, sent us an email asking what some of our favorite film scores or movie soundtracks are and why. And he also prefaced that this didn't need to be specific to movies, but it could also include TV shows. But this got me thinking that we could totally go deeper with this topic. Oh, yeah. Especially as a discussion on on this podcast, being that music is often fundamental to so much of what we enjoy content-wise. Music in storytelling can establish a setting. It can create an atmosphere. It calls attention to elements. It reinforces or foreshadows narrative developments. It can give meaning to characters' actions, and it can translate their thoughts and create emotion. It is an essential element that can add dimension to the narrative structure. Now, to be clear, there are two types of music often tied to movies and TV shows, an original score or a soundtrack. An original score is mostly instrumental music that is specifically composed for the film, and a soundtrack is a collection of popular music that has influenced the film or is featured within it. An excellent example of this would be Guardians of the Galaxy, which features both a soundtrack and an original score. The soundtrack will provide a tone and even time frame for the film, while the original score builds on the epic heroic moments, giving more emotional resonance. So today, I've prepared a variety of questions which I've shared with my fellow geeks so we can talk about the various music associated with the content we enjoy from movies, TV shows, and even video games. And why is it essential to the experience? So guys, let's get to it. Let's talk music, guys. Let's Tune music. up those instruments, baby. The instruments <laughs> being our vocal cords. La, All right. La, la, la. So I thought, like, again, being that this was 
a, a listener question that we've kind of adapted. We'll start with the listener's question. So Andy Bobby asks, top film scores or soundtracks uh, that are ic- iconic to us and why? And this does not need to be specific to film or television. I think we will start with Kevin. I think there are just certain answers that are just hitting the nail on the head. They're just so obvious, for me at least, that um, I almost wanted to avoid those. I also wanted to try and bring a variety of perspectives to this, and I know we're all so similar in our tastes and our likes and everything, and I figured you guys would probably cover some of these, so I avoided them uh, to a certain degree, but I don't think you can talk about this subject without talking about John Williams. Of course, man. Um, of he's, course. He's, he's like the obvious answer. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, he's the only answer when talking about the very best. Right. Mm. 55 years, over 50 Oscar nominations, yep. and five wins. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jaws, Superman, E.T., Home Alone, uh, and oh. then some lesser known but personal favorites of mine, such as JFK and Catch Me If You Can. Uh, right. I just yes. think he yes. is absolutely oh, amazing. Yeah. And I know one of you is going to bring up something he's done in this. Oh, um, he did Catch Me If so You Can. So I went can. with something totally else that was very, very personal to me, yeah. uh, mm. which is the um, James Bond franchise. Mm. Um, and I think uh, you touched on it in the intro there, how you have scores, you have soundtracks, and some movies are both. And James Bond is kind of that blend of both, you know, because you have that incredible, iconic theme for James Bond himself. So you've got that iconic theme that carries through all of the movies, but then you also have the title theme from each movie. Um, that is just so signature to that movie. And as a fan, it was always exciting to find out who was going to do the next theme. Uh, there's just so many great different types. You know, Honor Majesty's Secret Service uh, is an underrated movie and sort of theme. Uh, Moonraker is so campy fun. Moonraker! Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but then you also have like iconic artists. Duran Duran, Bono and Edge, Madonna, Sam Smith, Adele, Billie yeah. Eilish. But then yeah. my all-time personal favorite theme. Say live and let die. Live and let die. That was my favorite movie as a kid. And, yeah. it, and it's a bad movie, so I think it might just be because that Paul McCartney uh, Wings song is dope. That, so that is, you know, no, my all-time favorite Bond song. That's a good and, reference. That's a good reference because that one really, to your point, the themes always tend to bleed really into popular culture music, right? Like, they find their way mm. on the top charts and stuff like that. And if I'm but not that, mistaken... That might have been the first, like, big, big, big one, one in yeah, that regard. Yeah, yeah. no, I think, I think it was... It is it is cool though, Kevin. How like because I'm not the biggest James Bond fan. I, I'll admit. No, um, I know, right? I know, <laughs> but um, but it is cool. Like going back and looking at some of these themes, and you had already mentioned some of the artists. They are kind of like a time capsule of like mm-hmm. who was popular at the time. Yes. At the time, absolutely. Yeah. That's good. really cool. Yeah, I love that. So so what a terrible terrible reflection on the times that Billie Eilish is. Dude, doing the I next think Bond song. I really I really liked that song. 
Yeah, I, I do I'm too. sorry to say. I don't like whisper singing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, and and before um, I leave the topic of movies for this subject, mm. I did want to give a special little shout out to a movie, um, or I guess a, a, a franchise of movies that have some really clever scores. Um, uh, and in particular, the first Die Hard, where Michael Kamen weaves Ode to Joy into the diehard action scenes like it's just such a crazy idea on paper and then you hear it and see those scenes and it works Um, and then I actually prefer this one better, probably because this was my favorite of the Die Hard movies, but from Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Uh, so, so this is uh, Johnny Marches to the Fight or something they've called the song or whatever, but yeah. you know, the ants go marching one by one, you know, and they're stealing the gold bricks from Fort Knox. Like, just such a clever combination of genres and music types that so sort Kevin, of go who, against... Who would be responsible for, for putting that, that, that music into that franchise? Uh, well, I, I know it was different um, composers. I only know... Michael Kamen from Die Hard, simply because he did so many iconic movies from the 80s and 90s. Uh, not yeah. movies necessarily that I was a fan of, but if you if you just go and look at the scores that Michael Kamen did during that time, you'll be like, oh my goodness, oh, and he did that, and oh, we did that. But uh, it, it like, kind of seems like, well, sorry to interrupt, I'm just saying, it kind of seems like the trope of, of taking a, a, a song that doesn't fit and you know we're seeing that a lot and now in trailers now mm -hmm. but it seems like maybe this who you know this michael kamen guy you're talking about was the first he it did could, it before it was he cool could have been one of the originators of you that know? sort of oh, idea sure. right yeah it's, yeah, yeah. I think I think also too the the referencing of, of of very familiar themes like you know in in Die Hard it's it's a it's a Christmas theme to then play into this is Christmas themed movie um, you know very well placed and I think even for this this next one not to lean so much harder into the Christmas because it wasn't Christmas in, in the second one correct yeah um, but no. it still had a very tonally like marching sort of like it matched in that tone but and feels familiar so yeah you know could he could be very much a, the first person to really reference that stuff yeah, maybe maybe mm -hmm. um and then really quickly because i don't want to hog all the time here on this first no, question no, and uh, this might be my longest answer but uh in tv i'm gonna take this one because damn it i love this show oh, uh, yeah. the one that stands head and shoulders above all is game of thrones raman jawadi uh was simply a master mm -hmm. uh, and i think seeing the music live in that show oh. um really helped to just yeah. make you feel it feel right it. Yeah. you could feel it through the screen but to feel it live was just such a an incredible orchestral experience um oh you could and, you, you know, would feel the drums like in your oh soul right yeah, yeah. from like you know like danny's dracaris and and then the oh. brrr, bow, so you know cool. like to feel that uh you know you've got the iconic main title song mm -hmm. uh dracaris which i mentioned already mm -hmm. Um, to each character's individual themes that pop up at different times and let you know that they're going through something. Right. Um, you know, particularly the Starks and the Lannisters. Uh, they're just incredible. But this might be, I think, the most beautiful piece that Jawadi ever, ever did.
Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my right? favorite of his yeah. of his yeah. tracks. Yeah. Oh, the uh, strings. It's just it's just so sweeping and and it makes that scene like that might be the single best scene in Game of Thrones history. That yeah. from the open to the actual explosion of the, yeah. the 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 chapel, like it was just that song was it building and building and building. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. Going on the the topic of Raman Jawadi, like Westworld, you can hear those portions of Game of Thrones. Obviously, there's a little bit of recycling, but what he is doing with with songs that he's he's you know, we talked about um, just just with the Die Hard thing, like taking those that music that you don't feel should be in this universe, and then he he brings it in. Um, things like Sweet Child of Mine, or uh, or when he's done like Wicked Games, mm -hmm. um, or I think he even did um, which one was it? Uh, Space Oddity, like these these fantastic songs that he's yeah. just redoing in these strings and orchestral, orchestral and I'm loving yeah. every minute of it and the entire season three uh, album is on Apple Music so download it right now it's so good oh cool That's yeah no I, I, I would like to agree that like Westworld afforded him an opportunity to use music from the real world mm -hmm. yes right whereas Game of Thrones couldn't do that it, it wouldn't right. work Correct. to cover Sweet Child of Mine even yeah. in an episode <laughs> that where thematically it might work sure yeah it just wouldn't work where you know whereas well, it stayed, this it stayed pretty pretty consistent with its, with Westworld yeah. it yeah. does work and it mm -hmm. and it's it is so cool you were like almost listening for what song he was going to do that week right yeah. like yeah. I think he might. He's definitely, in my opinion, the best television composer of the last ten years. I think he's up there with another one that I'm going to mention at some point. Ooh, yeah. exciting! Exciting. Yeah. yeah. Nate, uh, question to you. Iconic. Yeah, yeah, iconic. Well, listen, you can't talk about iconic uh, film scores without the name John Williams. Am I right, you guys? I think that's my original thought there. And, <laughs> um, no, but obviously John Williams is going to come up a lot in this conversation. Um, so I, I, I want to give a shout out to an iconic John Williams song first uh, that we already had actually mentioned in this podcast. And then I'll, I'll get to my actual uh, answer. But uh, guys, Duel of the Fates. Yeah, man. Like, you want to talk about like just how unbelievable uh, a song can be ingrained in every fabric of your being when I was you know when the prequels came out I was pretty little and so hearing this for the first time every time I hear that I want to get my fake Darth Maul lightsaber and spin it around and fall over so bad. <laughs> I want to see you but do re, like but, a, a somersault kick, like kind of style with it. That would be wicked. I, I think that I think Duel of Fates is interesting because it's not the most iconic of his mm -mm. songs. Mm -mm. No, obviously not. No. Just no. from that franchise alone, I should say it's not the most iconic Star Wars song because there are fifty iconic Star Wars songs. Yeah. Mm. But I might with a little preparation i might be willing to go into battle with somebody and say that it is his best star wars theme i you definitely know, think it's, so it's 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 that's a that's a crazy thing to tell some people right but it's it just, is just it's almost like he perfected the craft 
after 30 years and, and four came back. movies and yeah. you know it's came just back so and damn good Duel of fates it was just like Dude, boom right Star that Wars was his mine. that's his mic drop moment and and honestly yeah. duel of the fates was the first time that i think i paid attention to music in movies i was at that you know when phantom menace came out what was that 90 99. 99. 99. So I would have been like nine years old. And so as a nine-year-old kid, not really paying attention to music in movies before, it was the first time where, wow, what is that? That caught my attention. And, uh, and it just, it's, to me, it's iconic. I would say it's, it's my mo- his most iconic music to, to me. Uh, but my real answer um, for, for this, for, for kind of getting off the John Williams thing, because um, I feel like, again, we're, all, we're just going to keep talking about him. But... Um, I would have to say another iconic film score for me is uh, Howard Shore's scores for The Lord of the Rings. Mm, Um, I think, you know, all of that music, again, it was another moment for me. I was a little bit younger when the trilogy came out in theaters and I would go see it with my cousin Catherine and we made like a point to like always go see these movies together. And it it was just, again, it was another thing where I think that might have been where John Williams' Duel of the Fates was the first time where I was, I felt that that energy and that 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 excitement and that adventure. Um, the Lord of the Rings was the first time that I think I felt other emotions as well. Um, and so I want to kind of show off this, this first one here uh, from The Fellowship of the Rings. I just love how this song, it, like it perfectly captures that moment of like unsuredness and sadness because everyone's sort of splitting up and, and you know, uh, Frodo and Sam are going on their own way. But then like it, it also swiftly moves into that Hobbit sort of main theme, which is super happy, but it's doing it while we're looking at probably the, the antagonist of the movie, which is Mount Doom essentially, right? And so getting that sort of, um, I think this was the first time where I felt the the music in a movie provide that that's um what's the word i'm looking for that that uh separation of what what i was seeing and what i was hearing and having it work so well together mm-hmm. um so i i really really dig that and i think that's uh that moment for me at the end of the first movie um oh it's so good so good pan flute pan flute all the way man i, f- I find it interesting about the music from lord of the rings because you know, as you were mentioning Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh, yeah, there are so many great musical pieces from it. Yeah. But I couldn't, off the top of my head, just hum one. Oh, and really? I think that's a combination of it's not as ingrained into mainstream culture. Because if anything, Lord of the Rings is even nerdier than something like <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways. No, honestly. Right. No, 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 yeah. But also, these movies being four hours long, I think prevents people from watching them as many times as they might some of these other two hour long movies that sure. we're going to talk mm-hmm. about and stuff, right? Like, I honestly mm-hmm. do think that does have an influence, right? You watch Indiana Jones 32 times and that is stuck in your bloody head. Plus, yeah. it's parodied and everything, whereas you don't see as many Lord of the Rings parodies and stuff like that. But I, I am a huge fan of those movies and I think the music has so much to do with why I love those movies, yeah. in particular Fellowship of the Ring. I, so, huge shout for that Yeah, one. no, I, I actually was trying to find a way to include that one in my list list and sadly it's it's not going to be featured in this list it's okay but, i got you uh no and and i knew that someone was going to probably and it was probably going to be nate because uh, that tr- that score has always like i think it, it's it's always stuck with me i whistle it all the time people always mm-hmm. ask me like are you are you whistling lord of the rings and i'm like yeah i just <laughs> like i'll just whistle it right because it is just so it is 
kind of a very soothing to your point optimistic but also you know uncertain it has this it just it's a very nice sort of little message of life if you will that's kind yeah. of put in this in this uh in the film so good good call out for that well uh, get get ready for me to take you back here because uh, you know we talk about um, we've talked about movie trailers and and their you know their impact and their power. But I wanted to kind of share this one because this this is the song that a year later it it gets me hyped back in the mood for Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's it's weird. It didn't feel like it, it felt like it was longer than a year. Um, but here, give this a listen, and uh, I think you'll be taken back to that moment you saw uh, the trailer for the Two Towers. Yeah, you, uh, you should totally be Gimli. Yeah, <laughs> I could probably rock a Gimli, a Gimli stume. Um, but guys, like uh, the Two Towers, that track is called yeah. the Urukai. Yeah. You know, Justin. Of course, it's the most. It is actually the most nerdy property. You're probably is right. Is that where they're? Um, is that where they're chasing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's. It, I think the trailer that I can remember is them. Like it's just mostly like just people running and and turning epically. Yeah, but, but I'm just, I'm just thinking about the specific name. It must be. Because that's not like the menacing Urukai song, so it must be them chasing them as they're like running. Yes, you know? yeah. I there's, think it's the it's like it's the opening tracks. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. There's two tracks that are like that. It's it's kind of like the I would say it's the adventure theme that runs when when yep. they are. But there's that that other track that I think you're thinking of when they're being chased by the uh, by the orcs. Dun 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 You know, it's just <laughs> heavy drum beat. It's so like, but like so you know, again, there's there's a simplicity to some of the score that goes into that and I, I think you're right Kevin there's not enough people that might necessarily appreciate or or recall a score like that but I do think it's it is a very nice iconic ingrainment very similar to what Star Wars uh, has mm. done with its score and its infusion with the with the story um, I just wanted to quickly mention the of course you cannot talk about the music from Lord of the Rings without talking about the best Lord of the Rings movie which is the return of the king in my oh, opinion no! uh, <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a movie <laughs> movie yeah, combat on that a, one that's too. A, that's a movie. That's a movie. That's a movie combat. That's for um, sure. <laughs> but listen, uh, we maybe I don't know if either of you are going to get to Sylvestri at some point, Alan Sylvestri. Um, but listen, I think what you're about to hear will remind you of what what I think was really the end game moment of Return of the King. But yeah, like that was that was probably like the first time where I was like, let's go. Like as you know, again, before before that moment in the theater of of the Avengers, which I still um, go back and, and somebody tweeted like the like them in a the theater when that, you know, when the Captain America moment happens. Right. Um, but this was probably the first time I experienced that uh, in the movie theater. And that was that was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that's. That is an epic uh, score and and composer. Um, and then I've just got one more that's just a really quick shout out. Um, that because you know, um, Justin, you said that the two towers, the Urukai theme, was like an adventure theme, and that got me thinking of just one last one that is just iconic to me, um, and that is Hans Zimmer. 
with Pirates of the Caribbean. And oh. so, right? And so I wanted to uh, I wanted to play this theme here that is just going to it's going to get you in an adventure mood. So let's take a listen. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to quickly shout out Hans Zimmer with that one because it's just honestly, that is another one of those themes that is those just... Those movies have a terrific right. score as well. And oh. yeah, like that theme in particular is, is amazing. Yeah, it's the adventure. It's ingrained in my brain. Yeah. Like it, that, it, that, that song alone exemplifies how some stupid movie that should never have been made about some cheesy Disney ride turned into a really fun, excellent, almost too good for what it was based on yes, yes. movie franchise, right? Yeah. Like, yep. they, they blew that one out of the mm-hmm. water, uh, uh, like a cannonball, essentially. Um, and, yeah, like the, the score really, really helped that movie become what it was, I think, It, it well. plays to every facet of the story. It plays to every facet of each individual character. Um, you know, one of the questions coming up, we're going to... We'll get back to... We'll get back to some Hans Zimmer a little bit later, I think. Oh, yeah, but... You know, for for most iconic, for me at least, I think for me, John Williams in Star Wars specifically was the introduction of how integral music is to story. Every time I hear the music, I see the movie. Um, and I see the moments and I, and I see the the reminders of, of the the morals and, and, and everything that kind of comes with that, which yeah. is why I, I tend to listen to that score in playlists on a regular basis. Right. Like just to throw on some Star Wars music. Um, yeah, I do think the more crafted stuff uh, we, I think we were mentioning is is definitely from the original trilogy uh, mm. Duel of Fates being a very strong comeback but I don't know if there was as many great in the prequels but you know some great ones now in this new sequel um, that, that are really great you know Ray's theme um, but my all time favorite from John Williams is this track which we're going to take a quick listen to right now The thing that I, that stands out, obviously, about that is that it is just so renownedly tied t- to the story of uh, Star Wars, the Force, uh, the Skywalkers. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is essential. It, it 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 is sprinkled throughout the various generations of Star Wars as this nuance of the Force and the nuance of of the Beyond. Such a, a signifier to the elements that make Star Wars amazing, which is why every time I listen to it, I absolutely love it. Dude, there's there's so much brilliance that goes into, you know, the the different elements of these scores that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not saying that the one you've selected isn't the best, mm-hmm. but there might be 10 others that could right. be the best. That's no, the that's thing about I mean. it, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but you did pick up an absolutely beautiful one that, that might almost 
be incredible because of how much more subtle it is than right. the other ones you yes. know mm. yeah that's and that's uh, why and that's these, why i like it that's why i think it's enjoy familiar it. but also mm-hmm. exotic like yes. a foreign alien plant like he's yeah. just such a genius that but, yeah everything he does is great it's the right sound and and you know you're right kevin like how you said like dual of fates a lot of people with with Star Wars, you could pick so many of the tracks that are so iconic and the perfect track for everyone. Um, but I think, like, yeah, I think this one for me is it's like it's that it's just that signifier for me of of how music and narrative are just so integral and, and weaved into each other. It becomes like a theme, obviously, throughout the film that we we see and when we hear it, it it it, 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 it we react to it. So I think I, it's I love a, it. I get the goosebumps. Yeah, it's the theme of the Jedi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, being that that is the, you know, start of experiencing iconic scores, uh, I have actually narrowed it down to one that, and I did it in the sense that I, of what I enjoy listening to if I, if I wasn't, if, if I was just driving, right? Or if I was on the train or, or something. And that is uh, Tron Legacy's Ooh. soundtrack from uh, Daft Punk. What I love about the the score itself is that, you know, the visual design is complemented by the score. Uh, the digital sound of the music helped build the world of Tron, giving it a very retro cinematic vibe. Uh, in addition to this, you know, well-known synth sound of, of Daft Punk, you know, they, they stepped outside of their traditional comfort zone and, and incorporated more orchestral sounds into it. And this sort of serves as a you know a balance like it showcases both the digital and the human side uh that this film like kind of deals with in in a very you know very obvious way um being that you know flynn comes from the real world into the digital world um and then the reverse of of a digital being coming into the real world and this idea of striving to to want to live right like to to matter um both of the examples that i've I've set here is the actual opening and the ending so if you take a quick listen um you'll hear how we open with a digital but we end with a more real orchestral sound inspired by that digital digital sound revealing the world that we're about to enter into Um, so cool right and then flip is at the end we hear this score come back but now it's with orchestral instruments and this time we're looking at the eyes of a digital being that is now in the real world take a listen hopeful it's optimistic and and it's her realization of just wanting to live and now we've take that digital sound and it's now a more human sound it's a really nice sort of narrative touch um i i just thought it was well placed they, they did such a great job uh for something that was obviously a very straightforward marketing sort of like you know hey yeah daft punk is is doing the score to this movie it actually like it made the movie it's very similar to star wars for me where it's like the two go hand in hand every time i listen to the soundtrack i'm reliving the moments of this of the film right yeah so. I, th- I think that's super cool like that and juxtaposition was the word that I was looking for earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that how how you're absolutely right. The the concept of 
the the real and the digital and how they they infuse that into the music that's fantastic yeah. uh, and I think you know again we were talking so much about how how this music adds to the element of storytelling and it, it abs that absolutely fits it so well and to think that that's all done by Daft Punk is just yeah. awesome that's yeah, so great. cool I love it next question here um, can either of you guys think of a score from either a movie or a TV show that has helped to give a more atmospherical quality to the narrative? So, like, you know, this is this is sometimes very essential. Like, composers will will design music to only to essentially breathe life into the film in uh, a new way, in the sense of of how the sounds we hear are integral to kind of like the story. And this can be felt in, 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 in a variety of different ways. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's a matter of can I think of it. I think that's what music is for, right? Uh, but so to pick one in particular um, that I thought did a really good job, and now this might be a little bit of recency bias. And so I figured this was probably the best place the Lost score is probably, in my opinion, the second greatest score in television history. Uh, it's just ingenious. The character themes, the balance between hope and dread. Michael Giancino uh, made the music almost a character in the show in and of itself. And he also made each character have an identity through the music. Yes. Because I've always said that the island is my favorite character. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and I think that his music only helps enhance that idea even further um, right, right. through various situations, right. which if you listen to two of these themes that are going to play simultaneously here, like back to back, you'll see the difference that he can convey through the music and just how broad the scope of the music was in this show. So that second piece is, I think it's called The Climb, or it's while they're doing The Climb. Uh, I know it's played in that second, ep uh, the second uh, episode of the pilot there as they're scaling towards the radio tower. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's played so much more throughout the show than I even remembered. Uh, but mm. it is just, it's that like, damn it, we're going on an adventure again, you know? Yeah. Like, I like wanted to stand up off the couch and march up mountains with them as that played. Like, dead. There's something right. There's something about those like staccato uh, violins, right? That we're hearing from these adventure themes, right? Like in yeah. all of these. So that's so great. You took me back with that one. Nice, nice. And so you hear those like drastically different tones, and they just convey so much emotion and excitement and mystery and adventure, uh, and, and very much like a John Williams score. Uh, the way each character even has their own subtle themes. 
yes. that weave into the larger thematic score. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just such a. It was that was almost one of my favorite parts of rewatching the show. Is going, man, I really underappreciated how much the music, music does yeah. for that show. Nate, how about yourself? Going back to movies and getting some atmospherical. Um, I gotta say, the first time that I was really made to feel really uneasy from the atmospheric quality of a of a soundtrack or of a score was the beginning of The Dark Knight. Um, I was waiting for somebody to do Batman. <laughs> I knew one of you two would. I love it. Right. I love it. And so, Justin, so I don't good. know if I'm I don't know if I'm stepping on any toes here, but Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard together. Uh, making this score for The Dark Knight um, is just absolutely phenomenal. And the scene that I'm, I'm talking about specifically um, is the bank robbery. I love the drawn-out string at the beginning. Um, like, here, give it a listen, and then I'll, I'll, I'll mention what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. You know, like like you can almost imagine like that that's that one long string is just like the Joker savoring every single moment as he's pulling the strings without anyone knowing in that scene. Well, um, and then, is, but you, you then know. you can also hear like the ticking, yes. almost right, and it's like time. You know, he's on a he's on a time schedule, schedule right? Like right? it's it's yeah, and and also that that the big. Boom, those thumps that are happening there as if like a bomb is about to go off, not just literally, but also the Joker um, and and just everything that he's, you know, he's, he's pulling off this heist that really starts his chaos. And I just love how uneasy it makes you feel and, and how it builds and builds and builds. And it doesn't let you rest. Like there's no rest in that song until you get to the very end and, and you get that reveal of, you know, stranger, right? Like it's just so... It's such a a phenomenal thing that, again, it was the first time where I was like, it wasn't just Heath Ledger's performance. It was the music that was making me feel really uneasy uh, watching this movie. And it added such an atmosphere. I'm going to I'm going to come back to this in my character. Ooh, okay. One of the character themes. So uh, we will come back and talk about that. Uh, awesome. Because I, I think there's just a little bit more that I'd like to add in that respect for for when we do talk about a character theme as uh, question number five. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Sticking on this uh, atmospherical, I do agree with you. I think that it does add a allure to the environment of what Gotham is. Huge connection to the character, but also, you know, thinking of of how it plays into the the bigger picture of of uh, of the film itself. It's it's mm-hmm. very integral. I actually, I think this one for me was like the really in-depth one. You know, you ended off with Hans Zimmer, and I'm going to start off with Hans Zimmer. Both Inception and Interstellar are uh, tracks that serve the story in, in a really impactful way. First with Inception, you know, 
just even the strategy of how Nolan approached Zimmer about creating this by giving him just a script and nothing he saw nothing he designed his score based on understanding the story dealing with time and the elements of time and you know uh the the first uh, sample that i have for you guys to listen to is actually a reference track and the only track that he was given um which is very iconic to the movie so uh, let's take a listen to that real quick So this piece of music is, is served as a narrative element that pulls the, the, the yeah. Inception team out of the dream world. And he took that, slowed it down to help s- symbolize time and layered it in throughout his score. Um, he obviously, a big technique for Hans Zimmer was to take things that have been digitized and translate them uh, through an orchestral means. So he had slowed this track down and re- had it reproduced through uh, an orchestra. It helps to add the nuance and element of of time so well, and which is obviously the underlining theme for Inception. We move into something like Interstellar, the use of church organs as the, oh, yeah. as the theme. Now, when you hear this track and it's laid over top this 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 you know epic image of a ship hurtling through space and you hear this church organ you know like the score is 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 essentially it has a very religious sort of undertone even though the yeah. story isn't religious but in the sense of space and knowing what's beyond mankind's interpretation of that is the church so a church organ as this elemental score is so smart and how it adds this quality of an atmosphere to the film odd juxtaposition but it it really sticks with you it it worked so well and this is again another score that was given very little information to him he designs digitally and then has something like a pipe organ which is basically a real life synthesizer because each pipe adds layers and adds colors to the song and not only that it almost feels like each note is breathing. It adds such a human quality because as you hit those keys on that pipe organ, it has to almost like open to take in the air to create that sound. So it is mm. just, it has such a human layer that just feels well, out of this world, but it's and it I, is very I think you, you nailed it on the head when you said spiritual and, and yeah, and, and celestial and, and it, 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 especially the scene um, near the end of the film where it almost, and this isn't really a spoiler, but where, where our main character almost looks like they're in a library. And I think if you've seen the movie, you know the, the exact moment yeah. I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's the end, and so yeah. to, to hear, to see all this, what almost looks like he's just surrounded by old brown books yes. and to, to, to hear this, this, as you mentioned, the, the pipes and the, the church sounds, it, it does kind of bring that, that spiritual element to it. That's, ah. Oh. That's absolutely fantastic, and I will I will say just to agree with you that soundtrack I listened to after seeing the movie I listened to it the entire ride home. Yeah, exactly. It was so it's, fantastic. It's so it's so epic. Um, one last little shout out I would give to is Atticus uh, Ross and Trent Reznor who did the Social Network. Um, this is a very ambient score. 
I love the soundtrack to this movie. Yep. It's while, another one I listen huge, to regularly. While I'm a huge fan of the Nolan films and the soundtracks, I think it's more soundscapes creating environments in those movies. Mm, good call. This was, this was like weird, jutting, almost sounds turned into music to reflect a, a very organic situation. I don't know. Like, Trent Reznor, like, deserved the Oscar so much for so, this movie. Yeah. It's, so this ambient score at the opening... Like it sticks with me to this day. It's, it, it has this optimistic piano laid over this ominous digital hum. And it really kind of, what it does, it, it, it captures this idea of what Facebook is. The, the potential possibilities of the idea represented in the piano score. And then that hum, that ominous hum about its sort of, its controversial side of, you know, privacy issues and security issues and opening this up, right? So there's there's just this, like, right off the bat, you're already setting this tone of a great idea, but there's, there's ramifications. Um, the score in this film tends to almost serve as, as a layer that allows you to see how the wheels turn. And there's the hack scene where he's going through and he's hitting girl against girl and he's hacking. And, and as you have this, it's juxtaposed with this university life and it's an epic party scene. But it almost serves as this this layer of how Zuckerberg's mind was just, just flipping through like, oh, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. Reznor and, and, and Atticus Ross, they, they just did such a great job. They knocked this one right out of the park. I think it's, in terms of atmosphere, it's one of my favorites. I, I think what the most amazing thing about this is, is that you look at um, musicians, you know, from pop culture, from from rock and roll, from from the radio, coming into movies and trying to do what these classically trained composers are doing. And it's not easy. Um, I just find it interesting that you get a guy like Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, this band that, in my opinion, this is, this is Kev ready to take some hate mail. I think Radiohead's a bit pretentious. They're a bit, like over the top in terms of their musicality. But you get Johnny Greenwood scoring an Oscar-nominated movie with an Oscar-winning performance such as There Will Be Blood. He didn't win. Here comes Trent Reznor, the I want to bang you like an animal guy. He's got so much raw musical talent mm -hmm. that he created this score for a movie that, again, like I think it's so shocking how good the social network is. In the right hands, even the most simplistic sort of story can become this grandiose, amazing, sweeping tale. And the music made that movie just as much as the writing and directing and yep. acting performances did. Yep. So that that's a wicked shout, man. Mm -hmm. uh, that made me remember how much I loved the music from that movie. Dope. Um, all right. So next question, favorite musical. Um, I'll actually start with this one. Um, I, I got to say like musicals, I, I don't mind musicals, um, but I think what I really do like it are films that are challenging musicals, like trying to envision them differently. And I think one that of, of recent that did that so well was Cats. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. God, no, not Cats. Imagine. Uh, <laughs> No, 100% it has to be uh, La La Land with uh, Justin Hurwitz. Uh, this jazz-infused score that gives you a feeling. It literally gives you a feeling that you're actually like like floating on a cloud. Like it, 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 it's almost like in a way embodies sort of dolled up imaginative world of Hollywood uh, as what La La Land kind of does. But there is some grit and layers to it uh, that you kind of learn throughout. Um, I liked how they incorporated the musical numbers into it, and, and it kind of took itself seriously. I would almost say those. that's usually the problem, is they take themselves too seriously. Mm. 
You got a bunch of people flipping around singing in situations where in the real world they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, but I, I do like that imaginative because that is a huge part of Hollywood, right? Like, you know, to do a musical in Hollywood uh, about Hollywood, about, uh, you know, La La Land in that. And I like the term La La Land. Like it just that's the, every other movie from the 1940s. Yeah, just so you know. Yeah, no. And that's but that's what I like. So it's, it's the throwback it's very, factor. Exactly. It makes it feel contemporary, but it's also a throwback, right? Like it, it's that balance between the two. Uh, Nate, for you, favorite musical. You got a favorite musical, bud? Oh, man. So I think I I misunderstood the interpretation of the question, uh, unfortunately. No, um, you just took it in your own direction. That's good, man. Well, I just thought back to what movies do I want to listen to this, the music from where there is singing. And for that, it was The Lion King. Uh, and so there for you me, That's good. Um, you know, and it is a Broadway musical, too. So let's go. No, no. That, uh, <laughs> Disney. So just to be clear, Disney films would account for a musical and like that's, okay good that's yeah. kind of there where are i wanted characters to... breaking out into song in the middle yes. of scenes that is a musical essentially perfect yep. dude the lion king elton john tim rice um yeah. specifically the the circle of life carmen twilly and and lebo m mm-hmm. um let me just let's just i know you know it i know everyone knows it i no, know you can all it, just sing it, just play it right now but here let's listen to it So it's it's honestly that it's that moment where again you 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 can't not look at what was going on. Like if you were walking if you were walking through a Walmart and you were a little kid <laughs> and this was playing in the distance, it could be super far away. You would look over at it and you would just you would just be transfixed. Um, and a lot of it has to do with this song. It's mm-hmm. like you can feel the sun rising in yes. that scene, right? Oh. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, it's it's, it's so powerful. It's, that, that, that whole soundtrack is incredible. And it 100% qualifies as a musical. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And oh, it, cool. Okay. It is it is, um, it is so amazing that even, even seeing that opening again, you know, with Favreau's new film, um, it still gives you the goosebumps and like just the excitement and like just that epic nature, you know, as that score builds and, and you see all the animals coming together and then it's just pulling away from Pride Rock and you just see and then it just that big like, oh. drum at the end with the title card and you just get that like, you know, it still hits you whether you're watching the animated or the live action, that score is... it. I just got chills. Yeah, exactly. And you know yeah. what? Like that is why it's so successful and it, it is a musical is because its music has been trained translated again uh yes the story has been translated but the music has actually stayed refined and very consistent for what it actually was and then you got your hakuna matata you got your can you feel the love tonight you've got your be prepared uh like you've got you know just can't wait to be king um it's just so phenomenal and then again i i know this might be going off just for a few seconds here but just jumping back into the score world Hans Zimmer coming in again yeah, yeah, yeah. with with and I'm just I just want to play this one song here which was probably the most hype that I've ever been for a film when I was four take a listen to this
this was the ending of that movie, and it was yeah. the moment that Simba became Simba. king. <laughs> right? Oh, it's just so it's yeah. so incredibly powerful, and I think it honestly inspired the music in cartoons to just be better. And that for me is my favorite yeah, musical I, film. I I know, I think I think you're right. I think that, that film just inspires the idea that the music is can be larger in scope. It could feel more um grander in that and it doesn't need to be just you know very frilly animated uh sort of what might be traditional like lion king you're right does push it a little bit more or much further into the direction of of having um more of a resonating effect with with it with the with the audience um, absolutely good call out yeah han zimmer again for that score hey eh? winning an Dude. oscar for it too uh, like, crazy killing it yeah kev do you knew han zimmer did that score right i didn't actually yeah, Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. did the original. That's Hans Zimmer, Elton John, Tim Rice. Um, ah, see, like I knew it was, uh, you know, Elton and 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 Tim. I didn't know that Zimmer did like the more like orchestral composer, score stuff. Yeah, yes. orchestral stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? No yeah. wonder it's so damn good, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, and that and that in itself, like you, to your point, Zimmer coming back, coming back here. Um, but yeah, that's that's great. Awesome. Cool. Um, Kev, you did. Did you have a musical choice? Uh, are you? I have of several musical. I have a. I have the longest answer out of anybody for this okay, question. Okay, let's see. I. I was kind of thinking. I did. I came packing. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, now I will preface this with: I'm not a huge fan of musicals. Um, I just don't generally like the medium, and and that really really applies to film. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate it a bit more on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will talk about that uh, for my second part of this. Okay. But like in, in film, I just don't think it necessarily works. Now, Nate, I'm going to give you huge props for bringing in a Disney movie because <laughs> they actually do it in a way that I love. Maybe yeah. it's just that it's cartoons and I'm mm-hmm. okay with cartoon characters yes. breaking into song in the middle of nowhere. But people just walking down the street and all of a sudden twirling umbrellas singing in the rain <laughs> it's just dumb to me i just mm. i just don't latch on to it i appreciate mm. it i i appreciate all the incredible talent that goes into writing the music the the general choreography of the dance that usually accompanies it like there's mm-hmm. so much amazing work that goes into it just not what i want in the middle of a movie you know right. so if i had to pick a, a movie musical that i absolutely adore it would be South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. Um, <laughs> wow. on, no, there's there's humor, there's heart, there's a ton of offensive material, uh, but it all blends into what is like really, really a, a, a wonderful score. Trey Parker and Matt Stone deserve a lot of credit for pulling it off, really. Um, Blame Canada. Uh, you know. Like the songs, like the, the the whole the whole score, you know, yeah. Uncle Blanker, mm-hmm. uh, Kyle's mom's a bee, <laughs> Blame Canada, yeah, Blame Canada. Uh, they're all they're all so good. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Blame Canada was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, wow. Uh, it lost to Phil Collins' Tarzan song, rightfully so. Uh, well which, deserved. <laughs> now, Sarah and I often argue about this because she's a big big south park fan and i'm like yeah but that phil collins song there's is no way <laughs> so powerful but i think that another song from the south park soundtrack actually should have been nominated for the academy award 
And in my opinion, and even as much as I love I'll Be In Your Heart, um, I think this song might have deserved the Oscar. Fantastic. So, so out of out of context, it's a bit uh, you know jumbled and stuff. But what it does is it it's it's called La Resistance, and yep. it brings in all of the songs from the whole movie mm-hmm. into one song. sweeping song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's like literally the ultimate musical song. Yeah. It's Les Mis. Uh, and I, you know, yeah, um, yeah it is. With, yeah. With, without you know people shaving their heads and crying in sewers and stuff. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it was such a good song. I can't believe Blame Canada, a jokey song, was the one that got nominated when this one deserved it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but so, continuing on this theme, uh, incidentally, my favorite stage musical was also written by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, really? and that is Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, you know, right. Uh, nine Tonys, uh, box office records. You know, that's nothing to scoff at. These guys are really, really talented. They can write poop and fart jokes all they want, but they're also obviously very, very, very smart writers. As as somebody who has certain feelings about faith and those things, the topic of the play was right up my alley, uh, but the way they approached it was actually far more sensitive and um, understanding Respectful. than you would imagine. Um, but just if, if you listen to this song, um, it's just... it's. It's beautiful. It's another great, like, singing performance, sweeping musical performance, uh, and it's from the stage play itself. I believe that God has a plan for all of us. I believe that plan involves me getting my own planet. And I believe that the current president of the church, Thomas Monson, speaks directly to God. I am a Mormon. Oh, I gotta see that now. Oh. I've never seen it. Oh, Book of Mormon is like it floored me. I was like, "Fine, Sarah, we'll go to your stupid South Park musical." And I left. It was just like, "Yep." I bought her the fifty dollar poster signed by the whole cast and stuff. Like I was in, man. Like it's we want to see it again, and I don't often want to see musicals more than once. I'm like, I survived the first time. Don't bring me back. That's a good musical to me. Yeah. Um. So I mean, they're they're few and far between, but I'm not totally opposed to them. They just have to strike the right chord. Ooh, no pun intended, eh? <laughs> no pun intended. Oh, pun intended. Okay, cool, awesome. Um. Now. Can you guys describe like one of the first times you experienced an emotion from a score or a soundtrack? It might not be the first, the very first time that I felt like an emotion from a soundtrack, but I, I, it's the one that just comes to my brain right away. Yeah. And uh, Kevin, again, it might be a little bit more recent for you, um, but this is a song called Life and Death uh, by Michael Giacchino. Um, so let's listen to it and then I'm, I'm going to kind of... They, they played that song for most of the major deaths in the show. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to throw out a huge spoiler for Lost. If you haven't heard or watched Lost, um, 
don't plug your listen. ears for yeah, 10 seconds. Yeah, plug your ears for 10 <laughs> seconds. But I'm telling you right now, this song in combination with Sun and Jin drowning broke mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Broke me. I cried my face off. And, and this song, which is played multiple times before, it hit me, but it didn't hit me that much. It was in combination with that moment. And, and the way that this just... Um, we, we talked about the idea of like a sound uh, emphasizing a moment with Lion King or with the social network, kind of those little piano uh, pieces here and there. The last note that's just a single key that's played in this song is just the lost, you know, coming up and, and just ending the most somber moments in the show. And it's As just they're so phenomenal. Hands and, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It's so I phenomenal. Mean, did they play it during this scene? If you know what I mean. Yep, they yep. did. They played yeah. it during during again I, that I, scene and because in others. my opinion that one is the saddest death oh, on the show. Mm. In my opinion, mm. not that that one isn't a, a very close second, um, mm. Sun and Jin, but yeah. yeah, oh yeah, he was the the heart of that show almost. The way he wrote the story along with the dialogue and the actions going on on screen. It's just Michael yeah. Giacchino, I think I have to agree with you, Kevin. I think between him and Raman, like they are the two kings of of television uh, composing. Yeah, and I, and not to mention, um, just quick shout out, Michael Giacchino uh, did one of the best new Star Wars uh, soundtracks, in my opinion, which was uh, Rogue One. Nice. You can never remember the first time you liked a movie, the first time you liked a song, the first time anything. Um, so I kind of approached the idea of music from your childhood, from movies and TVs that, you know, made a lasting impression almost. And again, I, I want to avoid the easiest answer for me to give just because I could literally use it for anything other than musical, and that would be Star Wars. Uh, but so for me, so much of my entertainment music and soundtrack came from television and so that would be you know theme songs to these tv shows that i grew up watching simpsons fresh print saved by the bell like everybody knows the words to those everything but i think the king of television music uh is jesse frederick um and so i just want you to listen to these next three clips really quickly back to back to back and uh we'll uh we'll discuss it after that Uh, wow. So Jesse Frederick wrote the theme songs to Full House, Step by Step, and Family Matters. TGIF all day long, baby. Um, like <laughs> sure. it's, this guy was the king, and like you could, uh, I, there are, there's a video out there where I, I, I listen to these songs again, um, and they play the song from Full House, and then show the intro to Step by Step, and then they play the song from Step by Step, and show the intro from Family Matters, and then play the intro from Family Matters. But sh- 
show the intro from Full House, and it's like they're interweavable. They could all work say, for each like other. Just, I just saw the th- same three clips. Yeah, like, it, what, they would what, all be on the same album. Like my dream, yeah. my dream. If I were to ever have a band, it would be a cover band. We'd be called the Boob Tubes, and all we would do is cover television theme songs. Oh, and it. and my encore would be the Jesse Frederick trio of these songs, like just bringing down the house with these three songs, like and that is my childhood in a nutshell as much as i love movies i also love tv and like those three shows were so iconic and and to have that same guy provide that opening voice to all three of them was just really really cool for me i think that's that's great that's a good association of how you know because those those memories kind of signify different times right when you hear those songs because like even just us listening to them i'm suddenly you know what we were like eight between the ages of like probably younger actually right like yeah they probably started like six to twelve those would have been on tv basically right right? in and around that time so it's like you know you think about those times of like when you were in middle uh, elementary school and stuff like that and man it was like like for me like as much as i liked movies um i think my first memory is rushing home from school and watching whatever was on at 3 30 and then four and then four you know and like you could put the pokemon theme in a lot of ways in this same category in that like these tv shows were like part of my daily ritual as a kid growing up you know yeah it was like i don't want to do homework i want to watch some tv man right right that's good and that's why i'm recording a podcast now (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome oh that's great um yeah you know what i to your point i wrote this question and yet i didn't even think of the first time that i experienced an emotional sort of reaction to a score i went for a more recent one um more recent in the sense of like between like it's it actually happened twice same movie same score um at the end of the day you're just dropping music that makes you feel something and that's what this whole chat's about so what's this one so this one here we're going to take a look at uh these are both moments from the movie that i pulled that's my secret cat i'm always angry These two moments from the Avengers movies are probably some of the most iconic in terms of emotions, for me at least. It's it's something that where I felt, you know, an overwhelming amount of excitement, you know, my eyes filling with tears of just like this full fruition of this super geeky fan moment coming together and just the excitement that comes out of it. I remember sitting in the theater in 2012 when you see that circular camera shot of all the Avengers together mm-hmm. and it's like, it's working, they're a team, they're, they're gonna do this, right? And then again, that same moment comes up 
up when you see all of these heroes standing in front of Thanos and you realize this full fruition of of what this 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 saga has has, has accomplished and it's just in that moment when that hammer flies in his hand and he's he just whispered those words assemble it's just like fan moment like you're just like oh like that emotion of just excitement it was so great so that's great. cool like I never even put uh two and two together Justin that that it it, it, it is a circle it is a circle and it, mm-hmm. it goes right back to where it started and mm-hmm. and just the it's so cool to to see the odds that they're up against in number one when this music comes up is nowhere near in comparison to the odds that they're up against in Endgame. But the mm-hmm. fact that it is all just, it, it is entirely about that moment of coming together, becoming a team and working together. It's unbelievable. And I love that parallel. That's so cool. I love yeah. all these these sort of uh, nuances that you're pulling out of these. These are fantastic. Yeah, I, I think that kind of plays into like, I like to overanalyze things, right? I, <laughs> I kind of went to school for, that was a minor of mine to overanalyze movies. So there we go. I, I enjoy kind of pulling at some threads here, but yeah. All right, cool. Let's move into question five, which is your favorite character theme. Now, if it's okay, guys, maybe I'll, I'll just start because Nate had already kind of mentioned this character theme in, I believe, your question two for the atmosphere. I actually did the Joker's theme with the Batman theme. And, and if I can explain, let's take a listen. Uh, Batman score starting off first, this, this two-note structure to his theme that would become something that's sprinkled throughout the film to almost signify Batman's uh, arrival and presence, um, even if he was Bruce Wayne or not. And and it's funny that it's a two-note sort of character piece or a character theme, if you will, only because there's two sides to Batman. There's Bruce Wayne and there is Batman, of course. That's cool. So yeah. I should have thrown this in as a sample, but the traditional Danny Elfman Batman score that we might have known from Tim Burton's world, where it was very hero and very complete. Hans Zimmer's score of Batman for this sort of origin story, which would then, you know, carry through three movies, is incomplete. The story is still figuring out this character. He hasn't earned that heroic, complete thematic element now we go to something like the joker who we are introduced to in the dark knight which nate you brought up in your atmosphere uh Mm -hmm. question Um, And you're absolutely right, you know, derived out of like a single string, the simplicity of the tension and when that tension, when will that tension release, but it never releases. There is this built-in recklessness and this built-in danger in this theme. And every time you hear it, you would know the Joker is somewhere. He wouldn't have to be on screen, right? And for the Joker, he's very one side character like we just know he's the bad guy there's not two sides to him whereas with batman's theme it was a two note so there's two sides to him hans zimmer did such an amazing job with structuring these character themes it played into who these characters were at this point in this story who would like to go next i mean this is this is such an interesting question like i could probably name 20 character themes from star wars alone that are amazing like vader uh and leia specifically and there are just there are themes to movies I don't even like that are iconic, you know, like the Pink Panther man, like 
And we've definitely mentioned a couple. Jack Sparrow, uh, just amazing, his his theme. Um, Hans Zimmer. Um, and then uh, the Avengers, I called a character and their theme, just yes. so yep. iconic. And going on that idea of, um, you know, a group of characters being a character and having a theme, even something like the Ghostbusters theme is just yes. so cool Good and awesome. Out. Yes. Um, I think in terms of two individual characters outside of my obvious answers that I'll shout out, uh, one would be Rocky. That is just oh. such a wicked, dun, 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 you know, uh, it's so amazing. Um, but on this one, I will go with the obvious answer. I will go with the easiest answer because it's just absolutely correct. And that is none other than that whip cracking son of a bitch, Indiana Jones. Nice. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I nice. love it, man. From yeah. the first time you hear it in Raiders to the time that him and, and Sean Connery ride off through the canyon at the end of Last Crusade, that mm-hmm. song is just goosebump-inducing awesomeness. So nice. that would be my favorite character theme, if you will. I mean, dude, that's that song. It's just everyone knows it. It's so iconic, um, and like I've never even seen. Uh, oh gosh, uh, Kevin's looking at me. What? Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh my god, that's like that's like saying you haven't seen Back to the Future. <laughs> I uh, I've seen Back to the Future. I've not seen Back to the Future two or three. Oh, okay, okay. at least you've seen one of them. That's fine. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but no hey, no Indiana Jones for me at all. Quick quick shout out to Back to the Future. That is yeah. a wicked soundtrack, like with Huey Lewis and the news, mm-hmm. that belongs mm-hmm. on some sort of soundtrack list. I couldn't there squeeze it in here. It's funny, it's funny too, because like we've we definitely gone down the route of talking about more scores than we did soundtracks which i thought was yep. gonna there was there was gonna be a bet like we, we mentioned some that are very like layered in but everything maybe it's the questions i wrote you know i think scores are the more iconic thing and only mm-hmm. so many movies can pull off soundtracks right indiana jones can't have a you know a soundtrack unless True. it's you know his father playing a record from the 30s in the background, right? Um, whereas something like Back to the Future lends itself to yeah. a score and a soundtrack. You know, the kind of movies that we like, the kind of movies we grew up with, the kind of movies mm-hmm. that are generally better, yeah. generally have scores versus soundtracks. Like, yeah. you want to talk about a great movie soundtrack, Days to Confused, man. There's two CDs they released for that. So many pumping songs from well, the '70s from that movie. Great yeah. movie soundtrack. Thanks, Kevin, for sharing that. I, I think that's that's great. Like, I I was thinking you were gonna go with uh, someone else as your as your top, but Indiana Jones like is who? actually very funny. Like who? Uh, well, we'll see what Nate's got in, up in his pocket. So then we'll uh, we'll find out. Because I, I got a couple shout outs that I'll, I'll leave leave to the end. I'd love to hear what you think. 
But Nate, uh, character themes, some of your favorites. Well, listen, when we're talking character themes, I think, and this is my just my off the top of my head, I think you have to just say one name, uh, which is John Williams, right? And I think <laughs> that <laughs> I think that um, for me, um, believe it or not, my favorite character theme that came from John Williams uh, is Leia's theme, um, and I Great. think I think Leia's theme. You kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier, Kevin. Of I mentioned of, it. It's so good, man. Yeah, it's so Star good. Wars. Star Wars songs that are subtle, and it it it's not the big bombastic, um, you know, Star Wars that we're used to. And so, just listen, listen to listen to Leia's theme, and listen to how it represents hope and exploration. Um, it's just so subtle, and so give it a listen. Good words. You know, notice notice off the bat there that oboe, and it's the same instrumentation that we get for what we would hear for Luke's theme and for like the Jedi theme that you played earlier, yeah. yep. Justin. Um, but it's it's Leia, and it's mm-hmm. hers, and it's so cool to hear how he's using that those that same instrumentation to still represent what we didn't know at the time, another Jedi. Um, but. But it's Do you just, think he fits. knew though? Do you think he knew? I don't think, you think he knew. John I Williams don't think did? George no. knew. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> so I think I think Leia's theme for me has to be my favorite character theme. It's just one of those ones that I just can't get over. And then if I am gonna give a shout out, let's just really quickly listen to this and it'll remind you of that beautiful drunk pirate that we talked about earlier. It's just, it's one of those things where you can't not see Johnny Depp and Jack Sparrow in, in by listening to, the, like, it, it's just so infused with that character. Um, I love it so much. I love it. I love it. Hans Zimmer it, it, again. It's, yes, it, it has the personality of Jack Sparrow, I find. Like, it, yes. the teetering, right? Like, it's the... Dun, dun, oh, yeah, dun, man, you're staggering right? down a yeah, dock. Exactly. You know, yeah, it, it staggers, it staggers. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds drunk, but competent. Exactly. You know what I mean by that? Like sensible. Jack Sparrow was very yes. much, yeah. Jack Sparrow was very much that drunken, that drunken sensible, <laughs> right? That drunken master sort of yep. idea of a pirate. Yep. So that sort of you know captures you off guard because he is so fantastic and he's so strong and he's so good at what he does. But a lot of it is dumb luck and mm. and bumblingness. And it's just, yep. anyways, the, those have to be my two favorite character themes. But uh, yeah, Leia's Leia's number one for me.
<laughs> All right, guys, this is the last question uh, for today's special look at music. And I actually kind of like, you know what? I wrote this question in a way almost targeted towards Nate just because of his his an abundant amount of knowledge. But I'm pretty sure Kevin's got some options here. Um, oh, I got some so, doozies up my sleeve. Yeah. Do you guys you guys recall any good video game soundtracks? Uh, things that you thought were strong? Like the one I, I, I'll just start because I, I only really could think of one. And that is... Uh, the last of us it's mysterious it's alluring uh it pulls on the threads of uncertainty um there's there's a strong sense of in in parts of the score uh where there's just this this dread but there's also optimism like it it just it 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 totally moves you through it revolves around two characters and and that their spirit of surviving it has a very textural sound to it that works well with how the game plays out but yeah i I think last of us is probably one of the more notable uh scores in my mind Uh, but we'll we'll start with nate to give kevin some context for what we're talking (laughs) about uh let's just take a quick listen to the track titled yes, The Last of Us. Um, and it's this is by uh, Gustavo Santo, Santoolala. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Take a listen. jump in there with you Justin because I agree like his music uh, Gustavo's music perfectly captures like the darkness of the world Um, but what I love about it is that the music is used sparingly Mm -hmm. Um, and it's because it affects you more in like the heaviest moments and then also the moments where you you get to see a little bit of beauty still left in the world yeah Um, exactly probably the moment that stands out for me the most when his music starts playing as you're playing um, as Joel is just the, the first time that Ellie gets to see a forest um and and you hear this sort of music that comes in that just shows how beautiful it all still is in its stillness and in its deadness and in 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 its horror it's absolutely phenomenal is this the song they play when she's discovering that uh no this is this is this is the this is actually the song that plays uh right at the opening actually um after something but it's like this it's it's this like new frontier right like that cowboy idea of of exploring this new frontier it's so cool i I didn't expect that i didn't expect that at all which is why yeah. a Spanish, like a Spanish sound guitar, like that texture of, you know, it's just sounding so in the moment of how it is. It's not so contrived, right? It has a very ephemeral, in the moment sort of performance to it that feels so natural. Yeah, man. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to the music from God of War. Nice. Uh, the, the most recent God of War. Um, it's unbelievable. Mm. So it's composed. First of all, it, the guy that composed it, his name is Bear McCreary. Uh, he worked on The Walking Dead and Battlestar Galactica. Uh, it took him four years to compose for God of War. Just to give you a feeling of, of the gravitas um, <laughs> that these 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 Norse language um, word of the singers, <laughs> you know. But but seriously, like to give you that that understanding of these Norse singers. Take a listen. So 
so you get the the that the really low voices, the powerful brass uh, that just makes up really what God of War is. But the Norse language that comes in, um, recorded in Iceland, uh, which is awesome, on a on a hill, uh, which is incredible, and uh, and it's it's so fitting because this is you know this reminds me a lot of the music from this game reminds me of. Uh, Lord of the Rings because it's you know yeah. which is another uh, you know epic tale of people getting up a mountain um, take a listen to this one called Ashes and I think you might hear that as well oh they brought in Evanescence Right, absolutely, but but you d- again that was such an integral part of the music of Lord of the Rings that again to hear it in this epic tale, um, it just sounds so phenomenal. I just I don't know. I I love this music and it it helps you to really step into the shoes of this god and it's it, you feel like you know so powerful and it's uh, yeah fantastic, Kevin. Let's hear some of yours. Fire them off. Um, well, I think the greatest, most iconic music from any video game belongs to Mario. Um, mm, I think, true. come on, people who've never picked up a, a controller could go, oh, that's the song from Mario, you know? Right, um, right. So that's an obvious one that I wouldn't put on my list. Um, but I will stick into like an 8-bit style um, music from maybe, we'll start from my childhood. Uh, one of my favorite song soundtracks to a game uh, was from uh, this game. We'll play the song and then we'll talk about it. Just, can you name the game? Yeah, man, it's Donkey Kong. You got it, sure. man. Donkey Kong Country. That was so good. I loved it. As soon as I heard it again today, I was just like, yeah. Yeah, you know, it gives you the right vibe. So fun. And I'll stick with one more sort of 8-bit arcade-style game. This one, I don't know. It might not be very good, but it was definitely memorable for me. So let's hear it. I've uh, never heard that. Uh, so that is actually from the game Outrun. Um, okay. So a driving game. You're always driving down with the coastline on your side. You got a pretty girl in the right side in the passenger <laughs> seat. Uh, I loved playing this game. Uh, you know, just weaving through the lanes in your very simple view. Um, so anyways, that, that was a fun one for me. Uh, if I were to pick a score from a game, it yeah. would have to be from probably what I consider the greatest video game of all time. Pistol on your side, hat on your head, saddle under, oh, your, here we go. under your tushy. This is just so beautiful. Let's take a listen. so good like i almost want to go down and play the game again like i'm I'm actually not sure we i actually even said the title but that's obviously from uh, red dead redemption and so to think of a game with what 60 hours of gameplay 
and the soundtrack is just there. Every place you visit has different themes and elements reminiscent of the place you're at. Uh, the second one did it just as well. You know, if you're in, you know, the New Orleans area versus the, the Bayou Swamp area versus the traditional old Western town area, like they all have these just perfect scores and, and themes that represent where you are that make you feel like you're in those places. So, And I think, Kevin, like to that point, sometimes the best music in these games as you're playing them is the music that you don't fully uh, acknowledge that it's there. It, it seamlessly blends so well with what you're seeing that you don't think about it. And then when you go back and listen to it afterwards without the visuals, you can appreciate it like even more. Uh, and it, it takes you back to those visuals. It's well, so it's, cool. It, it almost sounds like you're talking about almost like not ancillary, but kind of background music. Yeah. Um, which would bring me to my final selection for video game music. And that would be what I would consider the best soundtrack of a video game. And that would be pretty much anything from the Grand Theft Auto series. Okay. Um, and I think it's such a fun part of that is the ability to control what you're listening to via the radio dial. Like, what a neat feature to, to have in a game. Um, I mean, San Andreas was amazing but i think vice city might have the best soundtrack vibe. yeah it has the best vibe uh like you got hollow notes you have mambo music you got rick mm -hmm. james lover boy mm -hmm. michael jackson yeah. uh then 99 red balloons um <laughs> but then my all-time favorite gta cruising song is this one Great. Uh, yeah, yeah you know, that's great. Uh, quiet riots, come on, feel the noise. Just like you know, jamming, you know, driving around, running people over, shooting out the left side of your car, picking up some ladies of the night. No matter what it was, man, you could pick the song that made you feel, you know, in the mood to do those yeah. horrible, nefarious things. Yeah. Uh, and, and GTA, like all of the games, have this plethora of amazing songs. Uh, so that would be, like, in terms of a soundtrack to a game. Yeah. Not only were there amazing songs, but you got to choose what you listen yeah. to. That's such a cool feature. That that actually, sorry, just to jump in here, that reminds me too, like another really great soundtrack other than GTA is Tony Hawk. Uh, Tony Hawk. Yes. Uh, Tony Hawk had had tons of great. Had Rage Against the Machine. Had Papa Roach. Uh, you know, this is even just number two that I'm looking at from the from a list. Well, here. and I think even um, in the the advertisement for the 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 remastered version, they even said with all of the original, the original tracks, tracks, right? It's yeah. like so man, another, listening another to some of those. Yep. Ska songs again for the first time yes. in 20 years yep. is going to be awesome. Yep. So, was Sublime ever featured on that? I wonder. I Probably. guarantee you they were in yep. at least one I know one Blink of those was games. in one and stuff sure, like that. Man. So, definitely Any like cool ska punk. Yeah, '90s band is yeah. going to be in those games, right? And and also like just showcasing music that has helped to breathe into that culture. Of it's skate the culture, culture so. right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a good. That's good. That's very good. Very good shout out there with GTA. And I would love to. Round off this uh, conversation of video game yes, uh, please music. Bring home. Yeah. Um, quick shout out to just because you guys mentioned some soundtracks, Midnight Club. Um, all nice. those games Love have Midnight phenomenal yeah. soundtracks. Yeah. Um, so good. Uh, introduced me to punk music, which was cool. Um, but no, um, the score that I want to end on, I'm just going to play it. You've heard it. Don't know if you've played it, but you've heard it for sure. 
Um, so let's take a listen to this. So guys, you guys know that one? No, I, no. I, 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 I was thinking. Gosh. I, I was thinking Prince of Persia. I'm, I feel like I'm going to be embarrassed. Close. When you tell me the answer, this is the theme song to Halo. Oh, oh. yeah, not a big Halo guy, but no. yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It does. Yeah, now it, it now does I, ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah. So at the top of the show, I talked about the first time that music in a movie grabbed me, which was Duel of the Fates. Mm-hmm. This was the first time in my life that video game music grabbed me. It caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, composed by Martin O'Donnell. Um, like, no offense to Koji Kondo, who did Mario and all that stuff. And Kev, you brought up, you know, the Donkey Kong stuff and all that. No offense to them. Of course, I heard that music no, before I heard this. But that's 8-bit fun music to keep you occupied. Yeah. This, this, was, this was so much more than music in the background for me. And... And it, it just listening to that opening theme, just it, it just was like, what is this? And it was the first time where I was so excited to get into a game, but didn't press start on the menu. I yeah, just you were just waited. transfixed by that. Oh, that yeah, man. it was so good. And I haven't, I didn't hear, I I never heard anything like that. Of course, we've heard a lot of stuff like that recently or, or since. But um, I'm gonna play one more um, because it's just so hype, and I have to play one more from this uh, amazing uh, composer here. Um, in, for Halo, so take a listen. Oh really? Yeah. See, it's 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 um. It's like synthy like, guitars and stuff. Yeah, but it's an electric guitar, right? And so to mix that electric guitar and that, especially God at the time, like, like that was yeah. for Halo Two. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Mjolnir, Mjolnir mix. Um, but it, my friend and I, uh, on our way to pick up Halo Five at the midnight launch, blasting this like the two beautiful geeks we were, out the window of my car. As we drive and we go and we get it and we get home and we get two Xboxes and two Plasma TVs and we play this game staying up until 6 a.m. I'm telling you, in one sitting, so much hype. It's absolutely phenomenal. The music from Halo, give it a chance. It's unbelievable. That's what I'm going to leave it off with for video games. First world problems there, eh, folks? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great, man. Well, guys, uh, I got to say, this was like probably one of the most fun 
podcasts a host just because of the amount of conversation it, it engaged and kind of surprised with some of the responses like again a, a, you know not a, not as many of us uh, picked soundtracks we went we leaned more into scores again it could be attributed to uh, how I structured the questions and I am a fan of scores like Kevin you were saying scores are uh, more of the unity of of a, of, of story and, oh, and you, you want a soundtrack off the top of my head the American mm-hmm. Pie soundtrack is right. iconic for me man right of yeah exactly right but, I, I think scores resonate through movies yeah. more than soundtracks do often. I, I was thinking that, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino would show up somewhere in, in the midst of all of this music talk just because of his his strong reference of of uh, songs from different eras. Sure. If we're all going to shout out uh, soundtracks that we didn't mention, uh, Baby Driver is uh, the only other one I'm going to mention. Oh, Baby um, Driver, for sure. Dude, the Baby Driver soundtrack. I'm telling you, no matter what you think of that film or some of the actors in that film, I'm telling you right now, Baby Driver... I. Mom, I don't worry. I didn't do it, but it was the first soundtrack that I listened to that made me want to drive so fast. It was awesome. It was awesome. awesome. Love awesome. that. Great. Well, guys, uh, that's it for this music-filled episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is the minimum rating you can give there, so please rate, review, and let us know what you think. Uh, we are geek-centric, and you can be too, which means you can also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. we got a lot of great videos out there. Uh, right now, we're doing a show-and-tell series. Kev's got his Kev at Home series going on. Follow us on Twitter at GeekCentricYT and follow us on Instagram at WeAreGeekCentric. If you want to listen to some of this music, especially The Last of Us, uh, Tuesdays at 8 p.m., twitch.tv slash NatePlaysGames. We're going to be playing all the way through The Last of Us, all the way up to the release of the sequel. And then if you want to listen to some Animal Crossing music, that's going to be Thursdays at 8 p.m. Some actually really good music in that game as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but not bad. Uh, but, it's uh, relaxing. but yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Uh, so check it out, twitch.tv slash NatePlaysGames. I'd love to have you on there. Let's be geek-centric together. All right, so join us next week. Uh, Nate will be hosting. Nate, which, uh, what ideas do you got for uh, the episode next week? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So listen, um, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed about the whole Indiana Jones thing that I feel like we need to get you guys... Uh, get some get you bring you guys down a peg too so uh, I want to do what I want to do is uh, next week we're going to do our top five movies that we as as geeks we are embarrassed to say we have not seen so our top five movies that we are embarrassed to say we're going to put ourselves out there on the line in front of you please please don't you know destroy us in the comments or wherever you the, sh- the shame is going to be mighty after this one. oh it's going to be horrible but uh, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it so I'm going to be hosting that one next week Yeah. Okay, great. Awesome. So, uh, Kev, Nate, thanks for joining me for today's episode. But until next week, as we say, love ya. Stay home safe, guys. Peace.